Pros do it right to take their business to the next level by relying on trusted brands to get the job done. Lowe's is here to help and help you save. For your next stain job, get a gallon of Valspar One Coat Transparent Stain Plus Sealer starting at $35.98. And we now offer the Little Giant King Combo Ladder, the world's first step, extension, and leaning ladder, giving you the flexibility to do just about any job for only $159. For trusted brands that make the job easier, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's, U.S. only. So you think that you can tell us how to live our lives Never questioning the thoughts from which your mind could derive You think that suffering is part of some great plan that's been devised I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder What will it take for you to start There's a packed house on the other side of the glass. Welcome to 2019 and the Atheist Experience. I'm your host, Matt Delaney. Joining me this week, Phil Session. Hello. The greatest human being I know. Whoa. 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 Those are big shoes you're giving me. (laughs) Big shoes, big feet. So, uh, yeah, we've we've got a few announcements and a couple things to muddle through, and then we'll get to uh, live calls. The lines are already full. Uh, For anybody who's not aware, this is a live program Live from the Atheist Community of Austin's Free Thought Library, sponsored by the Atheist Community of Austin. You can find out more information at the websites and stuff you'll see scrolling along the bottom of the screen uh, at various times. And unlike early last year, I suppose, when we would all like go out to dinner after the show, mm-hmm. now people just come down to the library and hang out and we have a good time. And so any atheist or atheist-friendly person is welcome to come down and hang out. There'll be, I don't know, some sort of festivities and or food and whatever's going on. Yeah. I see, so you don't need a script anymore. You just kind of read. Yeah, I haven't needed a script for like 13 and a half years. Is that what it is? <laughs> I, I refuse to use a script most of the time because, and even, you know, if I'm doing lectures or if I'm doing one of the atheist debates videos, mm-hmm. they're not scripted because I work better if there's a rough outline and then I just talk. Okay, okay. Because a script to me feels like reading to somebody and I know how many people are just like, is he done reading yet? Is it, this is... Oh, did he say, no, he didn't say anything better than before. It was just reading. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I try not to do that because I know how it affects me. Yeah, yeah. Well, it definitely seems more natural when you're just ad-libbing. So how, how was your like? 2018? Ah, very busy. Very busy. Uh, it's, it's, it's been an, it was an incredible year. So much happened during that year, that's for sure. But for me, uh, most of my activism comes in the form of volunteering, mm-hmm. uh, including doing this show. But, um, for the, for those of you that don't know, I'm the volunteer coordinator here, uh, at the Atheist Community of Austin. And so in 2018, I, I, I was just getting some numbers to re- uh, ready before I came, uh, in here today. So let, I'm gonna, uh, hit some of those. But just in the year 2018, we served, um, 2,823 people here in the Austin area through the Austin Atheist Helping the Homeless. So that was, uh, pretty awesome. And so many people out there, including we actually did that just this morning. As a matter of fact, and I want to give a, a shout out to Tracy um, for her and the fundraiser that uh, she put together to get blankets in and stuff like that. We had uh, 40 volunteers show up. It was just the largest amount that we've ever had, which is people everywhere. But we needed all of the help because we had thermal underwear, for example, which was amazing. Thermal socks, gloves, knitted and crocheted hats, those blankets as well. We just we had people spread out all over the place. The 
hot chocolate and coffee were flowing. We're out of it. Ten gallons gone. It was just. It was in, within thirty minutes. Was a. Uh, it was out of there. Yeah, and I remember was, some people who were like. Wait, you guys are in Austin. You have a, an incredibly large homeless population, in part because the weather's nicer, and so people find their way. Kind of, mm. you know, if you if you're going to be homeless, you'd rather be homeless in Austin than, let's say, North Dakota. Sure, uh, <laughs> but they're like, why would you need blankets? And then I was reminded just a minute ago because it's ridiculously warm today. If I had to guess, I haven't looked, but I'd say it's at least like 65 out, and it's Jan- January six, and I'm wearing a short sleeve shirt, no jacket, and I but. Yeah, there were actually people on the back porch of the building already snuggled up in a blanket. So some people get cold, and it's even colder if you are stuck living on the street. So all of those, both atheists helping the homeless, humanists at work, mm-hmm. the various other organizations that are out there doing this, they need everything. You need thermal underwear, you need socks, you need uh, personal hygiene products, blankets, yeah. hats, uh, food, everything. And uh, yeah, yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's amazing. And the fact is, like, I, I talked to somebody yesterday about, you know, it's it's kind of warmish outside, but think about those evening times when it jumps down into your 40s and to your 30s. And yep. if you had no way to get away from that, you had no way to escape that cold, that was just going to be like most of us here, even if we're cold momentarily while we're walking somewhere, we know that we're going to be in a car driving home yep. or coming into a building and can get away from that uh, coldness that's outside because even I, as large as I am, like, I'm very hot natured, but even I will get cold and want to put a jacket on and even I don't want to be out there for too long, but staying there the entire night, I couldn't even imagine yeah. that portion. And so, yeah, they're very much needed. So I want to really give a special shout out to uh, Tracy for putting it together. You're well, awesome there. But we also, we built several ramps this year. We helped to plant 750 trees with Austin Tree Folks uh, here. And we helped to move 31, almost 32,000 pounds of food at the Central Texas Food Bank, including just yesterday, which was our first volunteer event of 2019 over there. So six people were out there making stew bags of potatoes and carrots and Onions, so, so it's a fun way to start. Just in here. case somebody didn't process that in, the, in their head, we've just entered 2019. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, you were at Central Texas Food Bank packing up dinners and stuff for people. Mm-hmm. This morning, you were at Atheist Helping the Homeless doing a giveaway, including blankets and everything else. Oh, yeah. Now you're on the show today. I'm going to bet you have a volunteer thing scheduled for tomorrow, if not later this evening. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite this evening, but uh, next Saturday I'll be at oh. the San Antonio's food bank. <laughs> it's disappointing. You're going to wait a whole week before you go help oh, people again. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, it's 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 amazing. I love what you do. I love what these organizations are doing. I like the fact that it's gaining enough popularity now where there are people who have this perception that uh, secular organizations, secular groups, atheist mm-hmm. individuals uh, aren't particularly charitable. That's, that's the purview of churches. The churches run the charities. Mm-hmm. And the truth is that... In reality, churches and religious organizations have held a privileged status, especially in the United States, the uh, de facto tax-free status. They don't have to open their books. They have people who are coming in who feel compelled to donate as part of you know the religious instruction. Uh, and then they have this massive network already built in. Right. Secular organizations have started a little behind in the game. But I would say are building far more rapidly than than religious organizations are. What I've seen from Foundation Beyond Belief oh, yeah. and individual groups popping up everywhere, um, I would bet that in five years, if they do another, you know, like polling study about the charitable nature of different groups, mm-hmm. that you will find that atheists are in there with everybody else, if yeah. not growing faster than others. Yeah, so I, I, I like the, like the exposure, like actually being out there, you know, the, you know, Foundation Beyond Belief on the front, Austin Atheist helping the homeless on the back, kind of spreading that awareness that it's out there. But that's, that's kind of like a passive benefit 
to what we're actively doing out there. But uh, it helps to, I'm hoping, helping to change minds about what atheists are, what they believe, what we actually do, what we, you know, what we believe in, like how do we contribute to the world or whatever else. And so I'm really looking forward to uh, the change that that's been making uh, from what I've seen. And uh, hopefully that will continue going forward. It's, it's a really awesome thing to be a part of. And I had no idea if you would ask me several years ago that I would be this involved in it. Uh, I didn't, I did not foresee that, you know, I was, I was not Miss Cleo on that. So it was, it's, it's been an amazing thing. But it turns out doing good feels good. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And it's one of those things where like I have a laundry list of 53 projects mm-hmm. that I know the overwhelming majority of them are not going to get done. It just, mm-hmm. you know, there's not enough time and everything else. And it's one of those things I talked about before where when I finally bought my own house, even though I despised mowing the lawn as a kid, I now mow my lawn and I'm pretty meticulous about it. Not because I'm a homeowner or because I'm older. It's because that's one thing on my to-do list that I can get done that is obvious to me and to anyone else who sees that, oh, this guy gets shit done. <laughs> when it, the truth is there's way more things than I'll ever do. And so the the charity efforts like that, I, I got to say, they were some of the most rewarding things that I participated in. And I, I'm not out there with you guys regularly. Sure, sure. But at a, at a Pennsylvania convention, we had everybody at the convention who mm-hmm. could stay after the final speech, went back into a big room and set up an assembly line where we boxed up, I don't know how many hundreds of meals. You know, yeah, you know, yeah. Here's the beans, here's the flavoring and everything else. And you, you're wearing, I had to wear a hairnet. <laughs> So not everything in life makes sense. Uh, but, yeah. <laughs> but we had a great time. And it, I, I really think that, you know, in much the same way that you don't think you could have predicted that you'd be doing this, mm-hmm. I think if people, especially in this era where we're, we're more tied to social media and interactions online than we are person to person, I think if everybody just picked a Saturday, picked a Sunday, gave it a shot, you'd find a lot more people are like, I actually like doing this. It gives me something, you know, different from the normal. I know yeah. I'm doing good for people. So, yeah, contact Phil um, <laughs> and or any of the organizations uh, in your area and see what you can do to help out. Yeah, yeah. They all, and by the way, that doesn't just apply to charitable efforts. Um, atheist communities like the Atheist Community of Austin, I mean, we're growing leaps and bounds. The mm-hmm. The library is open seven days a week from 10 to 9. There are people up here all the time playing games, visiting. Yeah. We're producing, what, nine or ten shows now? Atheist Experience, Talk Heathen, Nonprofits, Godless Bitches, Preaching Humanist, Atheist Roundtable, Atheist Interviews, Secular Sexuality, Truth Wanted, Parenting Beyond Belief. Uh, and there's more, and there's more coming. So one of the things I've mentioned many times is that if you don't think you have something to contribute to a group, you know, oh, I can't do the public speaking, or I would not be able to take phone calls, or I don't know anything about... I don't know, audio or whatever. Okay, set aside all the podcasty stuff and everything else. All these organizations need volunteers to set up and take down chairs, to greet yeah. people at the door, uh, financial experts, because one of these days, some of these organizations are going to end up with some money and having a treasurer that doesn't screw everything up uh, <laughs> is a good idea. And so shout out to John for being awesome. You know, good night. I know. <laughs> couldn't even imagine, but... All right, what do we got coming up uh, uh, yeah, in the me, near future for 2019? I'll hit this real quick. So on next, uh, not now ne- next Saturday, but the Saturday after the third Saturday of the month, the 19th, there will be the Austin's Women's March will be here. And uh, our own Godless Bitches are planning to go down there and do kind of a live stream type of thing. And we'll, we'll see how it all comes together, but they will be down there in attendance 
uh, actually attending that rally. And so that will be that'll be fun stuff. We just talked about it on Godless Bitches. We recorded uh, a show yesterday, um, and another. Uh, it was that'll just be that one show for January, and then the show that they actually do at the march itself. So that'll be the second show awesome. that happens. And so I'm excited for that. But on that same day, actually in San Antonio, Mandisa Thomas will be giving a talk. Uh, down there hosted by the Freethinkers Association of Central Texas. Uh, and so that'll be around that same time. But then on that following Sunday, the 20th, this is MLK weekend. She'll be here in studio co-hosting, guest co-hosting on this show and also talk heathen. That's on September. I'm sorry, uh, January 20th. That's Sunday. It's funny. So, so, so you mentioned MLK weekends coming up. Um, yes. So every year for Christmas, I do this massive road trip. It was a little shorter this year because I was on my own, so I didn't go out and, you know, see my ex-wife's family and stuff like that. But uh, there was some weirdness, which I won't talk about in any specifics. Um, family discussions about religion, which was surprising and, and strange. Uh, and then, but after it was over, I went to Memphis, where I had probably my favorite day in the last nine, ten months or so. But we, a friend of mine, we started out antique shopping, and then we went to the Civil Rights Museum. Mm. And I have been to Memphis before, but I had not been to the Civil Rights Museum. And checking that out was, I don't know, everybody should go. It's going to impact different people in different ways. There's a part of me, I mean, it's like at an intellectual level, mm -hmm. I knew that this happened and this happened and this is the way things were and this sure. is the way things were. But going there and seeing, you know, the pictures of of african-american men marching with placards that say i am a man mm -hmm. it, 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 there's something in my head that would how, it would never even occur to me like even in the depths of slavery i would have still thought that you know of course people viewed it that way but that's not tr true there was this terrible and and not just uh, bigotry but rampant ignorance of us and them that took on a flavor. It was it was a humbling experience, um, and it was pretty cool. It was it was cool to see that they they continue to add to it, and it's not just like, oh, this is the way it was back, you know, in the '60s. Um, the, this is still going on, so they're adding new things of what's going on. Uh, wow, that's different in in Henderson, and they're not just focused. It's properly a civil rights museum because yeah. while a lot of it has to do with the civil rights movement in the '60s. Um, they're also including, you know, here's the first Native American person who was involved in this particular activity mm -hmm. and stuff, and they're showing all of it. So it's a good wow. stop. I hate that I didn't get a chance to go visit it. When I, I went uh, to Memphis for the, my first atheist convention, which was the American Atheist that was held there a few yep. years ago. But it was just, four years ago. Yeah, it was just that was my first one. I, I didn't have time. I knew that it was there, but uh, I was busy ripping and running back and forth. I never actually got a chance to go over there and see it, but. I have to keep that in mind the next time I'm there because especially if they have an ongoing type of exhibition where they're adding more pieces to that as... It's, it's little things that they do. add. I mean, it's still primarily focused on the civil rights movement, but it was nice yeah. to see the timeline and it does not... The timeline does not stop. So it's here's the first, you know... They, they, of course, they go back prior to the movement in the 60s where like Hattie McDaniel got her Oscar for Gone with the Wind and then move forward after that to show, hey, here's what was happening in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s and all the way up to within a couple of years ago, there's some stuff up there about Ferguson and... Okay, uh, it's, wow. It's That's really awesome. humbling. And by the way, uh, Alex and I went and, and had a great time. So, hi. Uh, but 
I don't think you'll ever see white people more humbled and, and polite than when they're walking through the Civil Rights Museum, because that uh, that will say, that'll put you in your place. That is something else. Wow. Like, yes, most of your family was terrible <laughs> in some regard in the past. So I don't think I have uh, any other announcement except to say that uh, Shelley Seagal yes. uh, will actually be coming into town in February. So just keep your eyes peeled for more details as we get those things ironed out. But she'll be in San Antonio for sure, and I, I think up here in Austin as well. So we'll. Get those details as those come out. We'll let you know. I'm sure we will. But the song that you hear when the show comes on is is her song, as a matter of fact. She's an awesome person, so down to earth, and uh, just an amazing musician. So I'm looking forward to that as well. I got a couple other quick things to hit on, and then we'll jump right into calls. Um, In addition to all the other activities, we are putting together, once again, we are kind of restarting Atheist Gaming Night, which we used to do years ago, and now we've got a good group of people who are interested. So some of it will be taking place up here at the building, and some of it will be taking place at my house. Uh, Maybe possibly some movie nights nights as well. Uh, A lot of other things going on. But in the near future, I'm on this week. I'm also on next week. So, you know, if you were, if you're like, Hey, I thought the schedule said Tracy, you were right. I changed it. Uh, cause I'm going to be gone for a while afterwards. Next week on the 12th, Saturday, the 12th in Dallas, um, God awful movies will be doing a live event That's there. Right. I'm going to go up and visit with, uh, Eli, Noah and Heath and the guys and, uh, have a good time. And then on the 13th, the, 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 which is next Sunday, uh, no illusions will be here on the show with me. I think he's also doing talk even. Somebody can nod real quick to, to verify that. But, uh, usually when we get somebody down for the day, we'll put them on both shows. But. Sure. So that'll be happening next week. And, um, then I've got a debate in February, but I'll tell you about that a little later. And then the free thought cruise. If you just Google free thought cruise, you will find it. Uh, this is happening in March. I'm going to be, it's the uh, Free Flow organization, the Florida Free Thought organization. I will be the guest speaker doing a special and a little bit different version of my Magic and Skepticism show mm-hmm. on the cruise. Um, nice. So if you want to go to Havana Unana, um, <laughs> oh, Havana Cuba, <laughs> and uh, the Bahamas with a bunch of godless heathens and hang out with me and other people. By the way, you don't have to hang out with me. You can avoid me if you want uh, and just have a good time, you know. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I'll be doing that. It's uh, mid-March. I think the website's like freethoughtcruise.wordpress, but if you just Google Freethought Cruise, you'll find it, and there's like a picture of me as, hey, Matt's doing this. That's awesome. I had no idea. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it'll be good. Freethought Cruise. Okay. All right. Are we ready to try some calls? Yeah, let's jump in. Sure. Oh, we've got um, Jimmy in San Antonio. Thanks for waiting. You're on with Matt and Phil. Is uh, Jimmy? Jimmy there? there? Yeah, I didn't think you're gonna take me the first call. Hey, what's up, guys? Uh, I, I spoke to, uh, spoke to you guys about a year ago. I don't know if you remember my call. Um, both of you actually. Don't be don't be disappointed, but I don't remember it <laughs> don't, yet. But it's possible I'll remember it in a minute. Yeah. Well, I mean, I had mentioned the studies going in Baltimore, uh, Maryland, with uh, suicide been induced uh, with these neuroscientists are calling mystical experience. And anyway, we got in. I think you were talking about how you were addressing what Jordan Peterson was saying during that call, that last call. Well, that wouldn't have been a year ago, but. Or less than a year, probably. Yeah. Um, But uh, and then I said, well, have you looked into the research? And before the call ended, you told me that you would look into it. And I just wondered if you ever uh, bothered looking into that research. Probably not to the extent that I should. But um, what I did 
discover after both your call and uh, the interaction with Jordan is that the the label mystic experience is not well defined and it is a self-reported label so basically somebody is describing the experience as mystical and it's more no, no, no. I I had corrected that the last time we, you had that same misconception the last time um, I, uh, none of the volunteers in the study described the experience as mystical um, you know this is a term okay then, that's then been what's the justification for saying somebody took drugs and had a mystical experience if they didn't say they had a mystical experience? Well, I, I don't know if you ever look into, um, like, neurotheology, for instance. Uh, they're trying to say, or the, the proponents of this neuroscience are trying to say that there's neurological and evolutionary basis for subjective experience traditionally categorized as spiritual or religious. So that's where okay. we have to pause. Yeah. Okay. And so... That's where we um, have to pause. Sure. Traditionally classified as mystical or spiritual. Yeah. That still doesn't give any any edification to what it means. Yeah. And by the way, well, that would be self-reported. Uh, well, in other words, um, they're trying to describe it as it's not necessarily something induced by the psychedelic. They see it as a feature of consciousness itself. It's something that's an unfalsifiable proposition. If you take drugs and have an experience, you cannot say, I see this as something not induced by the drugs. You can't demonstrate that it wasn't induced. No, no, no. By that's what these researchers are claiming, that the, the induced psilocybin experience looks virtually identical to naturally occurring uh, reported mystical experience. Yeah, and so I'm so glad words, that you, you said reported mystical experience after we spent several minutes arguing about whether or not it was reported mystical. I want to know, in that we, I don't know if we went through this last time, but somebody sure. says, I had an experience, either they or someone else labels it as mystical, and I still don't know what that means or, why, or how they determined that it wasn't drug-induced. That's what I recall about the call, um, that call, as, as far as... Why use that term like mystical? Like, what does that actually mean, and what so, does that yeah. actually signify in the well, conversation? So somebody has an experience. Uh, so hang on, hang on, one second. Somebody has an experience. Some of them are on drugs and they have an experience. Some of them are not on drugs and they have an experience. This is this is. I fully accept this. When I was in church, yeah. I would feel an experience that I would describe at the time as the Holy Spirit. I came later to understand that I had no justification for calling it that. It was just that everybody around me had seemed to have similar experiences, and they all called it an experience of the Holy Spirit. And then I found out there's no justification for that. So now when people tell me they have a spiritual or mystical experience, I want to know what it is that they're talking about and what's the justification for using that language. Okay. So it's been defined um, all the way back to the early work of William James, and I, I think what they're just trying to define do is, it. I don't uh, need a history lesson. Okay, so I mean, if you look into the research, it's pretty elaborately defined. It's a pretty much a scientific concept at this point. No, but, it's fucking no, not. <laughs> no, no, it's would, not. Would, would you mind sharing that actual definition? Sure. That like did that <laughs> at least start there, at the very least. I can tell okay. you what I can tell you what happened. People reported having experience that they described as mystical, and scientists went in and said, hey, let's try and figure out what this is. No, uh, not exactly. No, like I said, none of the volunteers described their experience. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. All right. Mm -hmm. let, me, let me try this again, Jimmy. Okay. For millennia, people had experiences that they would describe as mystical or supernatural. 
And at some point, some scientists said, hey, there's a lot of people reporting these sorts of experiences. Let's investigate to figure out what they are. You don't think that's how, how else would scientists begin investigating? Yeah, no, yeah. So okay. In other words, they're, they're recognizing a phenomenon in consciousness. No. Yeah. So that's, that's the problem. There are people who think they are recognizing a phenomenon, and they may be, but what they're really doing, <laughs> what they're really doing is, is, is investigating a reported phenomenon. Um, I suppose you could put it that way if you like it, but I, I think it's a, a, a bit more astonishing than that. Um, I mean, I could try to describe it if you like. Cause they do, I, I've been asking you know, for a definition and a description, and all I get is, you know, going back to William James. Um, so the way they describe it is by six features of the experience that manifest in what they call a complete mystical experience. And I apologize, Jimmy. Your phone is breaking up very badly. Nobody can understand it. So you might want to try one more time. Let me see if I can go aside real quick. Um, let me see. So there are there are six cri six criteria that have been defined as a complete mystical experience. Defined by whom? Yes. Uh, so the, the original definition was laid down by William James, and it's been refined since then throughout uh, decades through by sure, Dr. Is, is that, Dr. Is that from Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds? Um, for, for, you mean then William James, I think it's the varieties of a religious Varieties of religious experience. Okay, cool. I got it. I got those confused. Yeah. Yep. Thanks. Okay. And so the, the, where they are, they're at now is the, the six criteria. The first one I was mentioning, the unity, uh, they describe it as internet, interconnectedness of people and all things, all is one or pure consciousness. But this is like the, the collapse of the subject object duality we experience in our, in our, in our experience. Um, uh, the, ne the next one is a, a, a sacredness or reverence towards a, a majesty that's ex uh, also experienced. Uh, the third one they go by is a noetic quantity, um, a sense of uh, uh, encountering what, what they describe in these studies as ultimate reality. But of course, these are the limitations. This is where the limitations of these uh, measures meet the descriptions of the volunteers' ex experience. Not even the measures can really gauge what they're trying to express. I, yes, yeah, and, I can understand. Um, that. That's why it's not science. But well, I mean, we can they, still they, they, we, somebody can sure. somebody can go somebody can say I'm experience, experiencing pain, and if you're going to try and go through and, and create a good methodology for that, you're going to talk to them about describe the type of pain that that you are feeling. Is it a burning pain, a stabbing pain, a throbbing pain, etc.? Then you're also going to try to give them to give an approximation of the intensity of that. And with a single individual, you get nothing. You, you have you, you've reached no, well, yeah. no no conclusion. So you you begin expanding that. The problem is is what I may think is a nine in pain. Phil might only think is a yeah. four, and so you have to find I, a way I, to normalize for those things. Now, when it comes sure. to and I think I'm, I'm not done. I think that's what they're doing. I'm not okay, but well, go ahead, go ahead. So you've got these six categories that create a complete mystical experience. You, I've got two of them so far, but the thing is. Um, what if somebody only yeah, has what if someone only has like two or three of them? Is that a, still a mystical well, experience, yeah, just not a complete? Uh, yeah. So yeah, they, they, I think that's okay. why they, in the peer-reviewed uh, studies they put mystical type because they, they they do occur on a spectrum. And yes, not everyone has the complete. So we we've got unity and sacredness. What are the other four? Uh, noetic quantity is the one I mentioned. Uh, that that was the third one. I still don't know uh, what that is. So, well, no, no, I, I had already mentioned it. It's the one where people have a... They but I say, I'm say i saying I don't know what the myself. first word was. 
Oh, well, noetic quality. I, I, William James used this because he felt that these, uh, these experiences had a certain um, intuition about them that were people, they, they presented itself as, as, some, as ultimate truth. I still don't know what reality. the first word is. Oh, noetic? Uh, N-O-E-T. N-O-E-T, okay. For some reason, I was hearing noetic as if we are under the noetic covenant. And I was like, surely they didn't go religious oh, specific. Okay, noetic quality, what's for? Um, all right, and then, and then deeply felt positive mood, uh, which is expressed as universal joy, love, or peace. This is a literal impression of uh, unconditional love within a temporary you know, state of consciousness. Um, the fifth one is uh, transcendence of space and time, past and present, uh, collapsing to the present moment. And, um, uh, you know, people will say things like they felt like they've uh, transcended time and space. Or, yes, I've been high. I get uh, it. What, what's the, what's yeah. the sixth one? Uh, ineffability or paradoxicality. Like one of the first things people say while coming out of this experience is, I can't possibly put that into words. And, of course, you know, these researchers follow along these uh, volunteers for months and months. And, and eventually they do get to a point where they can say something about it. You sure. Know? Uh, they, okay. they can give somewhat of a description. Um, so, so it doesn't remain... What, what's the sixth one? In that sense. I'm sorry? What's the sixth one? I've got five. Oh, okay. Well, no, I, I think that was it. The, the unity, sacred, noetic quantity, deeply felt positive mood, transcendence, time and space, and, and ineffability. And then what? After transcending time and space? Ineffability and paradoxicality. I, I, okay, we, we, pause. Pause, Jimmy. Because we're just talking to you. Sure. After transcending space and time, what was the next one? Uh, ineffability and paradoxicality. I said one of the ineffability. Things. Okay. Yes. Their in, inability yeah, the to first, express what they experience okay. in words. Yeah, like one one of the first okay. like your initial so I can, reaction is you have no words. Yeah, I can summarize all this. People have experiences that they don't understand and can't explain. Well, no, I, I think they are beginning to, like, the science is beginning to understand these type of experiences. And, you know, they found many sure. things. I mean, this research is already on its 17th year at Johns Hopkins, and it's prompted research all over the world. And, you know, they, of course, they go beyond this, this measure that I just used. They, you know, they have uh, multiple questionnaires. They have um, other ways to assess what's, uh, to attempt to assess what's going on. They also I get couple it. this with fMRI. I get it. But at the end of the day, the only thing that science can conclude is that people had experiences and now we have some language to describe them. Science cannot confirm that the experiences are in any way supernatural. Well, um, uh, I, I wouldn't necessarily, if you mean by, by supernatural. So I mean, like, here, for clarity, Jimmy, there is sure. currently no path to confirm in any way the existence of the supernatural or that the supernatural can in fact impact reality in any way. So at best, until there's a path to, to be able to identify, confirm, and explain what a supernatural cause is, the best yeah. that science can well, ever I, do, I the best, true. the best that science can ever do is say, hey, a bunch of people are having these experiences and this is the language that they typically use to describe it. And these are the kind of feelings that they have. But you can't go yeah. further than that. You can't say, mm -hmm. well, oh, these are coming from, I, I, oh, my God. Yeah, because I, I even looking so at the actual six, uh, looking at the six uh, pieces here, when you're saying that of the, uh, all the time, past, future, and present, it was collapsed into one, I'm not sure exactly how you would even go about trying to measure that. 
in the first place, especially no, if you're only relying is, on the experiences well, of what people say a, you, that they had. Yeah, it's a, it's a universal uh, reported aspect. Like, every, universal every, reported Yes, Jimmy, like, everybody who has smoked weed has felt time dilation. Well, no, we're not talking about time dilation. We're talking about a literal um, impression and consciousness where there is no time. Okay. Um, hey, Jimmy, let me hang on. If I have an impression in my consciousness that there is no space and time, am I right? Um, well, whether you're right or wrong is irrelevant to the fact that this is universally reported, you know? Um, I, okay, and, and, and Jimmy, then I guess we've entered an area where I literally do not give a fuck about people reporting things that they can't describe where we have no way to tell whether or not it's true or what's true about it. No, no, I, I think there, there is ways, but I think you're asking the wrong questions, especially by mentioning supernatural. Supernatural, the, the way I hear most atheists define supernatural is that which defies the laws of physics. I don't know if you abide by that definition. I, I don't know what supernatural is because nobody's ever demonstrated, but it seems to be an assertion that something is not natural in origin. So, I mean, these researchers have concluded that these experiences are indeed biologically normal, that there is nothing that they occur in people. natural about them. Okay, okay. Yeah. so why are we talking about it at all? Why are we talking about it at all? So they've, no, they've also, um, they consider these experiences the evidence of, uh, I don't know if you've heard of the perennial philosophy, so they find them in accordance with the perennial philosophy. In other words, they can be recognized throughout all the major religions. Um, each each of the major religions has a word to describe the experience. Like so, instance, it, okay. the is the is the point that you're getting to that science, by investigating this, is disproving all religions that that appeal to the supernatural? No, I'm saying I'm saying um, the they're recognizing a phen uh, that this phenomenon, which is associated with mysticism, the mystical experience, yes, is but at root is at the root of all the major religions. No, first of all, it's not at the root of all all the major religions, but. When, we, when you say they're recognizing that this mysticism, uh, it, as soon as you say that they recognize that this mysticism is natural, then that yeah. eliminates all of the religions that claim that it's supernatural, right? Uh, sure, but I, I don't know of any religion that doesn't, uh, that, you know, that claims any supernatural in the sense of, you know... Cause are you kidding me? You don't, think, you don't think God and the Holy Spirit are supernatural? You don't think Allah is supernatural? You don't think that... No, I, not if you look into the, the original meanings of these terms. If okay. you look into the original etymology, uh, no. Okay, I, then we are I at a fundamental disagreement about the history of religion and what people have believed about it. Because if you walk into churches and synagogues and mosques around the world and say, hey, all of you people, um, your religion was never originally about anything supernatural at all. They're going to laugh you out of there. Because I'm not, God, I'm God as a creator must, by definition, exist outside of space and time. No, I, I think that's a misconception. I uh, I think by re people reading the writings of mystics who had this experience of being outside of space and time attributed it to a creator that's outside of space and time. So what so you're like, saying, after, and now this, this is, okay, after, go ahead. 
It's an anthropomorphizing of, of the, the writings of mystics. In other words, they misinterpreted these, uh, these uh, scriptures that were originally written by people who had these types of experiences. Which means and, that and, all and religions are, all, re, all modern religions that, that appeal to the supernatural are, are wrong, is what you're saying. That their origins didn't start there. These guys added on to it in a way that shows that it's not true. I, I, I think you're assuming that supernatural has to be intrinsically tied to religion. Um, I'm saying... I, I don't think I, it does. Jimmy, I, do people actively engaged in modern religions believe that those religions have supernatural causes at their foundation? Not all of them. No, uh, okay, co correct. We can <laughs> find the couple of people who don't. But by and large... Do not most people, let's just stick with the Abrahamic religions to start well, with. Yeah, but by and large, George Carlin said most people are effing dumb. You know, like there is a lot of naivety. Okay, here. you don't have to say effing <laughs> on the show. You can just say fuck. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> but um, I don't care well, what George, I don't, Jimmy, this is, this is mind-numbingly frustrating. You're, 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 Be, you're oh my God. Majority. <laughs> Oh, oh, what? Neither are the opinions of the people that are, that are having this experience. All it is is even if they do test to actually see the biological markers to actually you know study the brain as these experiences are happening, as Matt said before, all that they can confirm is that these experiences are happening, that they're having some type of experience, but yes. that has no I, indication I onto what a cause is. That gives no evidence as to what that cause might be, except for, well, as far as we can tell, it's a biological process Jimmy, that I, we can measure. Jimmy, I desperately want to know what your point is. Well, like I said, this research at Johns Hopkins, it's on its 18th year, but it's building on earlier research that had that origin. Jimmy, I desperately want to know what your point is. Well, well, here's my point that there's been, uh, you know, very thorough exegetical, exegetical work and hermeneutics on the scriptures of the major religions that have found they're using the same measures that they're using in these studies. And, and they sifted through the scriptures to find what they're calling the reported mystical experience. So basically, the reported mystical experience is identical, virtually identical to what they're inducing in their volunteers. They, you know, they find no distinction there. And, and so they're, they're recognizing it as a phenomenon in consciousness that has been happening for millennia, a la the perennial philosophy. So, you know, it's, um, and I, I've, that's what the research is hinting at, and 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 uh, some of the uh, um, professionals involved will flat out just call the mystical experience itself the very evidence for the perennial philosophy. Yeah, I still don't know what your point is. Well, um, how about would you ever consider under like they they um, talked about the possibility of recruiting confirmed atheists. Uh, to sign up at Johns Hopkins uh, for, for these studies. Would you ever consider it, Matt? Of course, and so yeah. have others. And none of that fucking matters. That's the point. Here's the, here's the thing, Jimmy. You're saying people have reported having these experiences that they described as mystical. But the scientists have investigated, and they've checked out people who are on hallucinogens and other drugs, and they'll have similar experiences to... Uh, okay, this is something that I talked about decades ago or a decade and a half ago on the show talking about how I would experience uh, all of these things that I would have called the Holy Spirit. And then after I left my religion, I found that I could have similar quality of experiences through music, art, drugs, etc. And so, sure, but you're still oh my God, interrupt me one more time, Jimmy. I swear we're done. 
Oh, no, go ahead. So I got to this realization that if I can't tell the difference between a mystical experience that is caused by a drug or uh, art or whatever and a mystical experience that's caused by God, then I have no justification for believing that there is a God causing a mystical experience. This was a no-brainer that I didn't have to do an 18-year study on. At the end of this study, at the end of this study, at most they're going to say, hey, there's a bunch of people having experiences. We seem to be uh, unable to distinguish between people who are having experiences in a religious context, people who are having experience in a drug context, on any meaningful ground. And it appears that the best we can conclude is that there, that this is natural in origin. It's about the human brain and the human brain's response to chemicals and the human brain's response to um, groupthink and conformity and all of those things. But at the end of the day, you have not disproved religion because you, you can't rule out the possibility that there is a God who also gives mystical experiences that are indistinguishable from the other. And you also haven't proven religion so this is why you end up going down this thing of, oh, oh, the, wow, okay, I don't know what that was, but you go down this road of saying, oh, well, the exegetical hermeneutics looking at scripture uh, have concluded that, you know, hey, there were mystics uh, reporting these experiences, and they were misunderstood, and that's the origin of religion. And I will put it to you that of the people I know who have actively studied the history and origin of religions— that is a gross oversimplification. It is certainly one possibility of many of how different religions arose. But to say that that is the origin of religions is simply something that you can't demonstrate because we have to go back all the way to mysticism and animism. We have to go back to here's a gregarious leader who is giving a set of instructions with no mysticism attack, attached, and then later something mystical comes into it. But the thing is, when we look at, for example, the Bible, in the beginning... God created the heaven and the earth. That's the very first verse. It it began it all, and it is clearly a statement, and unless you just want to write it off as metaphor, of a supernatural event. I, I believe all the early mystics did write it off as an analogy and metaphor. Uh, they, Prove they it. Interpret them. Prove it. I don't care I, what you. Be, I don't care what you believe. The the ancient mystics did. You need study to comparative religion. Yes, I, I study comparative religion as a hobby, and yeah, I mean, you can look into the the Cappadocian fathers, the Hysicus, Jimmy, uh, ascetics. I mean, they all interpret religion by metaphor and analogy. Okay, I'm glad you have an opinion. Thank you. <laughs> all right, man. Well, I, I I just ask that you you look into it, man. That's all. Jesus Christ, Jimmy! I have spent <laughs> the bulk of my life. In detail, studying religion. You know what else I've studied? Oh, how about you? Know what else I've studied? You know what else I've studied? Epistemology. Studying. How about considering having one of the experiences, then really judge? Hey, you know? jackass! Then, did like, you not hear me tell you that while I was in church, I had those experiences, mm -hmm. and then then I no, also had them outside of church? Is you're gone. Good night. Here's a thought. Why don't you try having one of those experiences? Okay. Here's a thought. Call another show. That's, that's, and don't get me wrong. By the way, this, is, this would be a good time to, to bring up something. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, I got on Jimmy about interrupting, and people will point out that I interrupt more than anybody. And you're probably right. Uh, and I, I'll be doing a video at some point that, that kind of talks about the how and the why. But it comes from 14 and a half years of this show where if you let somebody talk for five minutes and then you try to challenge the first thing they said, what you get is, that's not what I said or that's not what I meant. And then you get another five-minute rabbit trail. 
which is why I wanted to get to the point. What, what was Jimmy's point? Was he trying to say that science is effectively disproving the supernatural mm-hmm. aspect? Because here's the thing about the supernatural. Not only can you not prove it currently, you certainly can't disprove it. It's an unfalsifiable proposition. There's no way to test or investigate. When I say that not only have I studied comparative religions and I've also studied epistemology, that's where we get into the science. That's where we get into how do we know what we know? And so you can make reasonable inferences. You can, you can have really good abductive arguments that go arguing towards the best explanation. And all of science's positions are tentative and should be weighted proportionally to the evidence. That's it. So when you say you should go out and have one of those experiences, Jimmy, you just showed me that you don't have a clue what you're talking about. Because not only have I had those experiences, mm-hmm. but going out and having one of those experiences tells me nothing at all about what that experience was. If I'd never had anything that I described as the presence of the Holy Spirit, if I'd never felt that, and tomorrow I went out and had that experience, I don't know how I would do that since, at least according to some religious family members, uh, God will choose when and where he reveals himself to you. But even if I went out and had that tomorrow, I can't tell you what it is. And I would be prone, as most human beings are, to saying, Wow, that seems like it might be supernatural. I would then acknowledge that I have no way of knowing that, no way to investigate, etc. But that's the reason that most people in most religions buy into the supernatural. But if you tell me, why don't you go have that experience? Okay, first of all, I already had, but let's find somebody who never has. Let's let's pick two people, two atheists, to go do this study. Two, uh, uh, what was it, affirmed atheist or whatever? Oh, was it? I'm I don't sure know what the language vowel, was, but it was, sure. it was snarky bullshit. Um, <laughs> so let's, have, let's pick two of them. Let's pick um, somebody who has never been, both of them have never been religious in their entire life. They've never had these experiences. And you put them both in the study. And one of them has an experience that is of the qualities that are described, and the other one doesn't. What do you know now? That people have experiences oh. that they can't explain. Hey, let's imagine that neither of them have an experience. What do you know now? What if they both have an experience? What do you know now? The test methodology is flawed for you to say, just go have the experience. Why study epistemology? Why study the science? Why study the methods by which we go about and determine whether or not our beliefs are reasonable? Just go have the experience. Experience is the thing unexamined that is most likely to lead you astray. Because while we are great machines at inferring, and today is pretty much like yesterday, and what I know about the world is probably going to change very little day to day. I'm good at getting by in that context. But I, like everybody else, am bad at saying, here's what the truth is, with no investigation, just an experience. If, if, if you used that methodology of go have the experience, you would believe every optical illusion, every audio illusion, every thing that appears deceptive, the mirage out in the desert, you would just, oh, I had this experience. I know what I saw. No, you don't know what you saw. You know that you saw something. You know that you experienced something. You don't know what it was until you investigate and confirm it. And the fact that people are having experiences they describe as mystical. Let's go, so let's go through the six. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Unity. Uh, the, the, the notion that everything is one, that we are all one. I have never actually had that specific experience. Mm-hmm. Have you? No. Okay. Not that I'm aware of. I know people who have. Now, the notion of the, the sacred, 
Mm-hmm. I've certainly felt that something was sacred mm-hmm. in, in, in probably this complete mystical context. Um, noetic quality. Possibly. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how specific. Um, a positive feeling of love. Yes. Uh, unconditional love, I think he said. Yeah. I think the notion of unconditional love is a big fat lie. Um, I, I recognize that there are people, it, it, to me, it's, it's kind of in the same ballpark as like soulmates. Mm-hmm. First of all, I don't think there's any reason to think there's a soul, but it's, I think, I find it patently ridiculous that there's one person one out there who's your everything. And I know people who've been married for 60, 70 years, you know, and it, it's great. Cool. Good for them. But it's really convenient. And this is actually an argument people have used for gods. Mm-hmm. It's really convenient that most people find their soulmate where they work or right. in their town or through a friend. So God is manipulating your friends and your work to find your soulmate. But then somebody else finds their soulmate in Bangladesh and they started something online. So basically God is manipulating the internet and directing you to the right searches to find your soulmate. And then 50% of the people who find their soulmate end up divorced. Well, then all that means they, they just found the wrong person. They followed the wrong yeah. path, of course. So of course. if you can be wrong about who your soulmate was the first time and the second time, and I mean, Elizabeth Taylor was wrong a lot. Um, <laughs> it's, it seems far more plausible to me that we have the capacity to love a great many people and to connect and have different people in our lives. Sure. And that it's going to happen to different extents. You know, there are people that I care about more than others because they're close to me, because they, they have value. Yeah. And then there's caring for humanity at large. So this feeling of unconditional love, I would say, I would, I would be kind of opposed to, to anybody claiming that that was in any way true. Mm-hmm. But I can't, can't rule that out. Maybe some people do feel that. But this uh, transcending space and time... Um, not just not just the time dilation of weed, sorry, but <laughs> you have to think that you're completely out of space and time. I think that is an obvious lie and deception as well because you have to have that thought and that thought takes time. Just saying it or experiencing it is necessarily temporal. So you should know the second you feel that you are no longer connected to space and time, you should know that you are wrong. And if, and it's, it's such an obvious thing too, because we put, we put Phil in the study and we give him a bunch of drugs and we got him in a room. And now Phil is high as a kite and he's sitting in the room and he's like, I feel completely transcendent of all space and time. And everybody observing this is clear that that's not true. Yeah. We've got a camera on you and just saying, I feel I transcend space and time takes time and has to occur in space or we couldn't hear you. (laughs) <laughs> not not in, you know, in space, nobody can hear you scream. But. Yes, yes, yes. Anyway. Uh, and then the ineffability. Inability to explain, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I get that. Um, I, I understand that we all have experiences that we can't explain. And that's why we go out and look for an explanation. The problem comes when somebody says, here's something that's unexplainable, and I have explained it. It's God. If you can't explain it, then you can't explain it. But if, if your explanation is God, then you are claiming that you have explained it. If you're claiming that it's supernatural, if you're claiming that it's chemical induced, all of those are assertions about what the 
experience is, mm-hmm. and now you've adopted a burden of proof. So if you think you, you can't call, both call something unexplained and offer an explanation. <laughs> and the study, like, I can't imagine that, like, I, I don't know what the actual outcome of the study is or what they're trying to look for, but if they're looking for people that have experiences, that's something that you can measure. And that's something that I can see them doing that study to see those, but I don't understand where Jimmy was trying to go with that, oh, these experiences occur, cool, now... I think I know where Jimmy was going now. What's, what's the next? Oh, that all religions are justified or belief in the supernatural is justified based on that these experiences actually do happen, even though you haven't established the cause, just the fact that they do occur. I So Jimmy was listed as a theist, and, and we still haven't talked about that at some point, sure. if Jimmy calls back, and you're welcome to. Um, you know, I think I have a better understanding of where he was going because it could be that he was trying to show that science is disproving the mystical aspects of religion. Um, but... If you disprove that, what's left? And so he has this particular notion, and I'm going to stop quickly here because he's not on, and I don't want to be unfair, but he has a notion which I've heard before, which is, ah, the mystical and supernatural aspects of religion, we have no reason to think that any of those exist, but there's still some compelling truth in there. So people took these truths and did their best at explaining them um, because we have this commonality of experience, but that doesn't mean it's supernatural. Mm-hmm. And then I get to, okay, how are you a theist? Which, next time Jimmy calls, we'll do that. All right. Anyway, so that was 50-some-odd minutes of, of the show. <laughs> and honestly, I mean, I'm sure there's people in the chat room that go, oh, my God, why didn't you end up on this earlier? Why are you going to say, why are you interrupting each other? Why are you talking over each other? I get it. Um, all, all we can ever do is strive to do better. But I think we did get some things out of that call. It's just incredibly frustrating to... N- not even know, like, what direction somebody's going. Yeah. I called you a while ago to talk about this study. Have you looked into it? No. And even brought up one of the main issues that we had was the definition of my- mysticism and actually using it. How is it being defined and why is it even worth using if it's not well? Yeah. And, and that's, that's been my objection to both mysticism and supernatural as words in that I think it's largely the case that those words are used in so many ways by so many different people mm-hmm. that they are effectively meaningless as communication tools. If I say to you, Phil, I just had a supernatural experience, uh, <laughs> you, you probably don't have any idea what I'm referring to. Not at all. And Is that that Taylor Swift song earlier? Yes. <laughs> Shake it off, baby. <laughs> all right. We'll go to uh, John in Huntington Beach, Huntington Beach, California. Thanks for waiting. Uh, you're down there by my friend Ray. Oh, is that Ray Comfort? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, greetings from uh, Southern California. Thank you for putting me on the on the air. Sure. Sure. Welcome. I, I I won't ask you to comment on the last caller, but if you segue that direction, you're still okay. Okay. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, listen, I'm I'm going to actually try and keep this away from uh, all this frustrating word salad that I hear. But I guess my cool. first question is. Is do you believe that there is no evidence for God, or do you think there is some evidence for God? However, it's not sufficient to believe for you to believe that a, that a God exists. So it completely depends on how you want to count evidence, because certainly there we, we mm-hmm. tend to identify things as anecdotal evidence, testimonial evidence, and those things count as evidence, but only to the extent that the that they're that they are believable, that they um, are verifiable, et cetera. So, 
I have, I have at times in the past said there's no evidence for the existence of God. And what I mean by that is I'm not aware of any good evidence that should be considered as evidence for the proposition because the anecdotal and testimonial things that people present, when I evaluate them independently, I find that they, there's, they're not necessarily evidence for God. They are in kind of like the last call evidence for people having experiences that they are attributing to a God. Um, but there's no justification for that attribution. So, but by and large, I tend to just say that there's insufficient evidence to reach the conclusion that a God likely exists. Okay. I, 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 if I may maybe give an example of what I, this is just my opinion, consider okay. to be some evidence for God, although I totally recognize Absolutely. that a lot of yeah. people would not be, con- but we're all very familiar with the sun. We, we kind of see it every day, not that we're sitting there looking at the sun, but we're very aware of its presence. Um, mm-hmm. And we're aware of how it, it moves. You know, I'm 56 years old. So it's quite clear to me the sun is always starting to appear in the eastern sky. And it's always disappearing in the western sky. And, you know, a, a little lower in the horizon in the winter, blah, 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 blah. And I've seen the moon thousands of times in my life. And I know that, we, you know, we live on Earth. You get in on an airplane and you see how big it is. And, and there's just everybody knows that there's this very consistent pattern of the sun and the moon's movements around the earth. And when you get into astrophysics, they, they, they're so good at this, they'll predict exactly when the moon is going to block the sun out for a couple of minutes. I think in 2017, I, you know, kind of lived close enough to the uh, total lunar eclipse that you've got a pretty good view of it. So, and I'm not saying this is convincing evidence that people should believe in God on this, but it does appear to me that there is some real predictable patterns here. Um, maybe I hate to use this word intelligent design because it's, okay. it's so mm-hmm. kind of a platitude, but it does. It looks like this whole thing was designed just in these, this one little example that, that uh, a high school student could kind of figure out on their own. And and would you say, Hey, that might be a little bit of evidence that there's a designer, a creator, no. somebody that no, put this um, together. Yeah. The way, the way that I look at that is, okay, we, we have observances. We can see, what the sun does, we have information about what a star is, how um, how it combusts, how it creates that heat, how that electromagnetic energy travels through space, when it's going to affect us, and how stuff like that. However, my question would then would be, if you're saying, how do we differentiate what's designed and what isn't? We have an observation. We see what the sun is doing. We see what the moon is doing. We see the fate. We have that pattern down because we can observe that pattern. But what, how do we differentiate something that's designed from just the way that things are and how we observe and experience them? How do we differentiate those two? The, the case you're making, if you, if you really kind of dig in on it. Um, okay. We understand. From physics and from gravity, we can make really good predictions. These things are moving. Um, and of course, they seem orderly from our perspective and, and even potentially beneficial from our perspective. But what your argument has to be when you dig in on it is, okay, these things are obeying the physical laws of the universe. And so now you have to move a step back and say, in order for this to be evidence for God, you have to think that God intentionally set up this particular set of physical laws for things to obey. Because, and, and I don't know what the, what the reason is for that. So we have, we, we have observations. We have, we understand to a great extent the physical laws that are dictating the movements of bodies in space. 
with, uh, you know, gravity and motion and everything else. And what you're doing is looking at it, and like everybody else, I mean, we are we we are pattern seekers. We mm-hmm. s- we see intentionality in design, and you're saying when I look at that, it seems so orderly that it seems to me to be you know at least somewhat convincing evidence for God. But in order for that to be the case, what you'd have to be saying is, I am convinced that because there's order, God must have defined that order. It was intelligently decided that this would be the order. So you're essentially arguing that the order we perceive could not have come about by natural means or was incredibly unlikely to have come about by natural means. And the problem with that, apart there's many problems with it. When we look around at at the whole universe, um, we see this order, these physical laws applying, as far as we can tell, largely universally. And with no intention, no purpose, there's nothing on you know, Alpha Centauri that was designed with us in mind or that affects us in any way. Um, and when you look at the universe, we're only a tiny, tiny portion of the universe is even habitable by human beings. So it's a very, and I'm not, I'm not trying to accuse you or disparage you. We, everybody's done it, but it's a very, arrogant notion that begins with my life is important to me and my life's important to me too. It's true for everybody. And isn't it kind of convenient that I live on this planet where I can live on this planet? And it just seems unlikely that that could have happened by chance. And so there must have been some God in there somewhere. And the problem is there's no evidence for that proposition. It's, it is a fallacy on two fronts, at least, one, because it's an argument from personal incredulity that I just can't imagine that this could have a natural explanation. So I think a supernatural explanation is at least plausible. The other one is cherry picking because whenever we look at that, we tend to look at the things that directly affect us and ignore all of the other things, you know, the black holes that are going to consume things and, and all this. So we pick out the things that work to our benefit and say, wow, this all looks like it was designed for me or us and my. Mm-hmm. And we ignore the things, um, you know, the fact that we would die in the vacuum of space and we can't live underwater without, you know, equipment and gear and that a good chunk of the planet is inhospitable and that there are things out to kill us and cancers and blah, blah, blah. It's, it's a very narrow look that says, hey, we need an explanation for the Earth, the sun, and the moon and how they move in such a way that has allowed us to flourish. And to me, the best explanation is that we are the thing that evolved to flourish in this environment. So in some other environment, something else may have evolved and is looking around doing the same thing we're doing. Gosh, the universe was created specifically for me. Does that make sense as to why I don't really count it as evidence for God? Uh, yes, I, I kind of wanted to maybe respond to this, you know, human arrogance. Absolutely. I don't believe that. I mean, you know, we sit there and we look at an eagle soaring through the the sky and we're jealous because we can't do that. Um, And we know that the the eye on that eagle is vastly superior to the eye that I have in my head. And, you know, a bear is 10 times stronger than any human is. So I really I don't see any evidence that that we're the chosen that human beings are the chosen thing because many uh, creatures in the animal kingdom are, are far more capable than we are. I mean, jump into the ocean and you're not going to last very long, but a whale will last its whole entire life with no problems whatsoever. 
Um, and then this this kind of thing about how do you tell? I'm thinking the sun, the moon, the earth; those are clearly not man-made. We did I not agree. have anything to sure. do with that. Um, <laughs> um, the so issue is because we, are they made? Yes, I agree with you. That is, was it made or, well, it was made, but was it made by a god or was it made by the, the natural forces of nature? Okay, we know the answer to that too. That, unless God has influence over the natural forces of nature. Now, now we are exactly where I predicted we'd be. Yeah, that's asserting some of this. Okay, They're like, so to, what evidence, so this is why I was saying, I understand how you got there. I'm just saying yeah. what I would need is evidence that God intentionally set up the laws of nature or is manipulating laws of nature. The, the, the fact, the observation itself is not evidence. You have, to, you have to establish some kind of causal connection between the God, the proposed explanation you have, and the observation. And so that would require evidence that God either set up the physical laws or manipulates them. That's where the evidence would be. Yeah. Okay. And I, I, if if there, if God, the Creator God exists, He's not giving us that evidence that we can say, ah, oh, there's a God. There's the evidence for it. Okay. So the evidence okay. is uh, circumstantial. It's circumstantial evidence, which I don't think you can call circumstantial evidence no evidence at all. It is evidence. when you're it when you're looking at something. Evidence. Okay. Yeah, when you're looking at something like that, like you're saying to look at the world around you, look at the eagle and the way that everything works, but the fact is you have a sample size of one and that said you have no other uh, conditions, other parameters. You have no other uh, subjects. We don't have another universe to study to right. see that this is how a universe actually looks when it doesn't have a designer. You know, things are just out of whack. Things are just doing this. We don't have another comparison to make. And so saying that the world that we observe around us is sufficient evidence to say that a deity designed it means you had to have some kind of criteria to say why a deity would not have designed this. You have to have some kind of juxtaposition. There's some way to differentiate the way those two universes would be. If it wasn't designed, the sun would be doing this. It, it wouldn't be doing this. You would have to establish those things. And because we only have one sample size of this study, so to speak, which is our observable universe, we don't have the evidence to say that this was intentionally designed because this is what it should be based on our studies of these other universes. We only have the one. And so that was always a very unconvincing argument to me to say that look at the trees around and look at everything that's around you. That's how you know that a deity was there. And it's like, this is all we've got. This is the only observation we have. We have no way to say that that sand over there was intelligent to design, but if it, the sand looked like this, oh, that's not. Yeah, we, it's we don't even, have that. It's even worse than that too, because I and and I'll ask you this, John. So you're listed as a theist on the call screening thing. So I'm assuming you believe in some god. Yes, I do. Okay. Mm -hmm. Do you? Would you? Do you think that the gods you don't believe in are real? No. Okay. So I, I believe you, in. Uh, yeah. You you I, would probably agree with no, me I mean, that throughout human history people have invented gods that served as explanations for things we didn't know, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, so, and so if we live in a world where people are inventing gods to specifically serve as explanations that we, for things we don't know, then we know that most of those proposed explanations are false 
But it shouldn't be surprising that if somebody invents an explanation for the order in the universe, that their explanation would actually be sufficient to explain that order. So it's like saying, uh, hey, how did this phone end up on the table? Well, let me come up with a list of proposed ones. Everything that I'm going to propose should be sufficient. Last night, Pixies came in and set the phone on the table in this position. I have no reason to think that Pixies are real, um, but that's certainly, given the definitions, something Pixies could potentially do. So it's not surprising that when we find a god being proposed as an explanation, that it's sufficient, that it, it would serve as an explanation. The problem is we have no demonstration that it is both necessary and sufficient, that our one proposed god out of the many gods and out of our this this god out of all those gods and all those gods out of all the potential explanations, how do we determine that this specific god is the best explanation, especially when we have no way to confirm supernatural causation and all of the evidence shows that the universe operates in an orderly fashion and doesn't give a rat's ass about us? Yes, I, I, I'm in a lot of agreement here. However, I wanted to respond to Phil saying we don't Please. have another mm -hmm. universe to kind of compare ourselves to. We don't have another universe, at least not one that we can observe, but we do have a lot of other planets that we're now able to desert, uh, observe and kind of look at. Sure. Uh, and, and so we have that example. We seem to be, for what we can observe with you know telescopes and infrared light and all the things that the astrophysicists look at, we're it. We're the only uh, planet that we know of out of all of the stuff out there. And I'm not saying this is evidence straight from God, but it does seem to be circumstantial evidence to me that uh, that for whatever reason, we got picked to, to have life and not necessarily human life. Maybe maybe God likes polar bears and he wanted to create an environment for polar bears. I don't and know. And then we ruined it. We're it. <laughs> yeah. Because we're arrogant. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, we might be the bad guys in this whole thing. We could be. Um, I guess I have but one But here's the thing. Question. Here's a, I mean, okay. what percentage of the universe have we explored to the extent that we can rule out life? Yeah, I mean, an incredibly small yes. amount. I mean, there's so much that we don't let's know. Say, let's say less than yeah, 1%. Let's say less than 1%. I think way less than 1%. I do too. I think it's a vanishingly small. And so in what, in what other... like you can't put a number on it. In what other area would you recognize that you have a vanishingly small set of data and then ex still extrapolate to we know enough that clearly we were picked? Okay, so, but do we have a vanishing small amount? We, there's so much that we don't know, but that doesn't mean that we don't know what we do know. We do know a lot. We have a lot of data. We you're aware that we've, you're aware that we've found the building blocks of life on other things other than Earth, right? Carbon and all these kinds of things. Yes, I think that I'm aware of that if that's what you're talking about. Yeah. We don't fully understand yeah, how, how life sure. arose, but not just the elements. I mean, I'm talking about finding basically the essential building blocks of life, the things that we suspect would be uh, involved in abiogenesis elsewhere, on asteroids and, and things like that. But here's the other thing. We could be the only one in the whole universe, and that would be remarkable. It could be that... Yeah, I don't think we are, actually. I think there's because of the odds, there's probably somebody else out there whether we'll ever find them is, you know, I don't know. <laughs> okay, now, now I'm even more confused. 
little bit. Because a minute ago, we, we were, were the, the chosen. Right. We were picked. And now you're saying oh, we're, that... We're the only thing, yeah, okay, I, I created confusion. Let me see if I can explain it for what we know. We're it. And we, I think we have a lot of information from thousands of potential planets out there that we're able to determine that don't have any life on them. Mm -hmm. um, however, Actually, there's... All right. Way we cannot. There. There, there are things where we we could determine that, given facts we have, there's probably not life as we know it or understand it on a particular planet. But we haven't even confirmed whether or not there's life or the building blocks of life on any other planet in our solar system. And it's kind of arrogant to presume that we already know about all the potential types of life that are out there. You know that you know you go down to the you go down the bottom of the ocean where there are things uh, feeding in sulfuric acid around vents. Um, that's not life anything like us. I mean, yeah, okay, it's still carbon, it's still DNA, but this is, this is not life as we would... How much weirder could something be on another planet? So we're in this position where we don't really know a lot. Very weird. Yeah, we don't really know a lot. You're convinced... Okay, so let me... Can I ask on, a final question? Because uh, you guys sure. have been very generous with your time with me. But uh, so it just this is my opinion, my belief. I'm not trying to put it on anyone else, but I look at everything and I go, oh man, this is just too amazing to be to be by pure cancer and the forces of nature. Cancer, leukemia, uh, AIDS. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. I get it. Maybe we're not the, maybe we're not God's favorite people. Maybe he likes, maybe God's malevolent. Who knows? I mean, I'm not saying God or, is good. Or maybe there isn't one. And he mm. created all this. Maybe there isn't one. And some people look around and see it as amazing. And some people look around and see it as crap. Yeah, I look at it and I see it both ways, you know. Um, I, however, I guess my question was, is is it totally unrealistic? You guys basically think I'm being completely nonsensical by looking at all this and deciding, no, this was created by some type of intelligent designer, that there is some some god out there that did this and caused this to happen, that life would survive for whatever purposes that God may or may not have. I don't know. No, is that just no, totally nutso for me? Or is there some basis for that? I mean, based on what you said when you're, I mean, most of kind of what you're talking about revolves around incredulity, like looking just around you and coming coming to that conclusion You because you can't come up with another explanation as to how what we observe around us could have come into form, but that has nothing to do with how it actually did come uh, into form. Like it's just, it's very interesting, and it's, that's not something that I haven't heard before. But um, to say that because of what we see around us, oh, that justifies my belief in well, not only a deity, well, this specific deity that did these specific actions, like that, it's so unfounded. Based on you know the what you presented here, it's just I'm I'm not sure. I, I wouldn't say that you're you know completely wacko or a nuts, or, nuts or, or whatever you said to believe that because there are some people that do. The data that, shows that, that find that convincing. The data shows that you are normal. The overwhelming majority yeah, of people, you know, but I'm not. But the overwhelming majority of people through history and currently have reached the same conclusion you have for pretty much the same reason. That tells us nothing about whether or not you're actually correct. Sure. Actually, it tells us about whether or not you have good reason because you don't. But not recognizing that doesn't mean that you're you're nuts. It doesn't mean you're completely out there on a limb. It doesn't. Mm -hmm. you know, this is what we normally do, and it's it, 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 we've even classified the errors. What you're what you're committing, as far as I can tell, is a type one mistake, and that's where you see a predator in the bush even when there's not. 
A type two mistake is when you don't see the predator in the bush when there is. Type two mistakes are, and I'm, assume, I'm assuming I got that right. If not, somebody will correct me. But the type two mistakes are the ones that are deadly. So the person who thinks they see a predator in the bush runs away, even if it's not there. So they are more likely to survive and pass on their genes. Mm -hmm. The person who doesn't see the predator in the bush dies. And so the, the type of error you're making, it gets into Pascal's wager even of, I look around and I see all this amazing stuff for us. Mm -hmm. And it just seems like a plausible explanation for that is that some being intentionally created all this and, and set it up so that it's beneficial to us. If you're wrong, that's unlikely to have any dramatic effect on your life for just that simple belief. If, in fact, I'm wrong, well... We're back on Pascal's wager, where if depending on the god, I could suffer all kinds of whatever. But yeah, it's not true that that a type one error is without consequences. So you could believe, hey, I think there's a god, but I don't know much about it. Cool. I probably don't have much of a problem with that, other than I don't agree. The problem is, is that once you're convinced that there probably is some kind of being who's got your best interests at heart and who potentially created all of this for you, that leads down to all of the different religious views we have, mm -hmm. right down to this guy cares who you're sleeping with, no free butt sex, you know, no, uh, you can't love somebody like this. These people should have rights. These people are inferior. Uh, we are, the, it leads to an us and them thing. Because as soon as you think that, that the universe was in some way put together for you, there's no guarantee that you'll stop at the universe was put together for life on earth or humans on earth or white humans on earth or white male humans on earth or white male humans on earth who like pickles. You can spin this into anything and that's how we get the religious sex. So I think the thing here is I'm not convinced you are wrong about a God. I'm just not convinced that you are right. And the reasons that you offer, I can I can show you why I don't find them convincing. And it's because if there are 20 different potential explanations that we know of, we need a way to differentiate between them to figure out which one's most likely. But we also need to recognize that we might not know all the potential explanations. The fact that we've got a list of 20 now, you go back a few hundred years, maybe they only had a list of 15. You go back a thousand years, maybe they had a list of five. You go back to when many of these religions were formed, maybe it was just patently obvious, this shit can't happen on its own, of course there's a God. And then in the intervening time, while we're going out and exploring and understanding physics and astrophysics and how these bodies move, and we're coming up with the best explanations that we have such that we can predict lunar eclipses forever, um, we are still struggling with the baggage of people, ancient, ignorant, goat-herding marauders who were convinced by someone, themselves or someone else, that they were getting messages from the one true God and that they're the special ones. And that's, that's, of course, where my biggest problem lies. But I don't want anyone to believe Can anything. Can I respond to for, that? Yeah, one second. I'm done. I don't want anyone to believe things for bad reasons. You should always have a good reason for what you believe. But go ahead. Okay, so yeah, I, I, I kind of already did make the point. I don't think humans are special in this whole thing. So I could never really argue that, say, for instance, because I know God and God is telling me this, that... Uh, you know, we ought to eat 
cows or something. But I don't necessarily think we're that special. I'm not sure. And, that and, yet, and yet the evidence is directly opposed to you because there's a religion that says we specifically shouldn't eat cows and another one that says we're to subdue the earth. So the evidence is that people, not you, but people are definitely like this and have been for a long time. I agree, but because I believe in God does not make me religious. It just I agree. Means I sure. believe that there is a creator here. That doesn't I, mean that I, a religion has got nothing to do with God, really. I, I mean, in my opinion, it's it's a, it's a man-made thing. I thought I'm I thought I'd already the guy who made the sun. I thought I'd already acknowledged that your particular thing is not something that I have a great objection to, except for where it can lead. So believing anything for bad yeah, reasons. That's a slippery slope deal. No, yeah. no. I want to I want to throw this in there if I it's, could, Matt. But if you if you believed in God, couldn't you argue? Well, you're wrong because your religion is man made, and the universe was made by God, and the universe is is organized in this way. I guess I, let's pick a a thing. Uh, gay marriage. I imagine that okay. that this is you know a topic people have been discussing. I said, well, gay people are here. God put them on there. How dare you say? That 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 gay people are somehow evil or an, an abomination in in an ancient book written by people who we don't even know of. But your God, but your evidence for that would just be because God put them here. See, that's this is if the problem. I believed in God. This is the problem. You believe there's a God as a complete inference, but how do you know what God wants? I don't. Okay. okay. Other people are saying they do. Sometimes we can tell. Other Sometimes people are saying. Can tell. For instance, wait, 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 stop. You said you don't, and now you're saying sometimes you can't tell what God wants. I want to hear about that. Well, okay. Now, I, I do misspeak sometimes and change my mind. So okay. I missed when I first answered the question. Me too. Uh, but I could say, what? I do that too. Go ahead. Right, yeah. Just that. Okay, well, listen, what I was going to say was, look, I think sometimes we get some evidence uh, what God doesn't like and what God does like. For instance, it, it, this whole thing, don't have sex before marriage, doesn't seem to really, that doesn't sit with me. But don't be promiscuous. Don't have sex with a whole bunch of different partners. That does Why? seem to resonate with the God. Because who the hell are you to tell other people who they can like and can't have sex with? Right. I'm not. I'm saying that God sometimes gives gives us evidence that we could look for that he hey, John, doesn't what, like based on people having sex John, with multiple partners John I'm going to do I'm going to do you a big favor because you just completely shot yourself in the foot and undermined everything you were saying before because you're now convinced that God doesn't want people to be promiscuous that's how religions start mm mm-hmm. mhm you, you said that your God thing was completely separate from religion. You said that you don't know what God wants and you believe it for this. But if, if the second you went to, I don't think God's opposed to sex before marriage, but God's opposed to promiscu- promiscuity. Congratulations. You have now demonstrated the point that I was making the entire time is that even that type one belief that may not necessarily be bad can lead to other things. It's not a slippery slope argument to say it's necessarily going to be there. It is a data-based argument that shows that it does in fact go there. And thank you for demonstrating it. And does your God have uh, have beliefs or at least intend things that just so happen to comport with what you believe the world should be? Yeah. And how many people can I have sex with before I'm promiscuous? And, And I mean both at one time and in sequence. Because 
ultimately, like what what you said about gay marriage, saying like, oh, well, you look at that as well, God put them here, so how can they be evil? Something like that. That may be your. That may be what you believe, but to assert that a deity... It's a naturalistic uh, fallacy. Right. It's just, I don't understand like how you're even coming to that conclusion or how you're figuring out... You know, what things are, it just so happens to comport with what you believe. You know, Matt, I really apologize. God, God, God put me here and gave me a particular... I barely hear you. Yeah, God put me here and gave me a particular mm-hmm. sex drive that, that uh, causes me to have sex with almost nobody, and he put somebody else here that has a sex drive that causes them to have sex with countless people. How is that any different from your argument that God put them here? So th- this whole thing is a demonstration. You, you've taken step one towards turning your personal God belief into a religion, and it's not because... Uh, you have any evidence that God doesn't want people to be promiscuous? It's because you have a problem with people who are promiscuous under your definition. Mm-hmm. So it seems like we, we, we lost them, but oh. that's what it seems like. <laughs> okay. I was, I was going to do him a favor and let him go, and so he could go think about that, because I, I just, I don't know, maybe I'm the only one, but if you say that you don't know what God wants, but sometimes you do, mm-hmm. that's a problem. Yeah. And then when you show how religions can start from one idea to another, mm-hmm. there's nothing about the notion that a god created the the solar system, the laws of physics, the universe, etc., that tells us anything about what God says about sex. And yet that's exactly where he went right off the bat. Yeah. And it's probably the most pernicious of all religious things that have been brought up. Oh, you shouldn't, you know, if a man lies with another man as he lies with a woman, mm-hmm. uh, that's an abomination. And as Keith Lowell Jensen has pointed out, maybe that's not what the passage means. Maybe it's an advice on position, like you need to raise up a little bit. If you try and do it the same way you do it with a woman, it's it's proper. But also this thing, uh, you know, the Bible is against man-on-man sex. It's only sometimes, in a matter of convenience, clearly opposed to women-on-women. Of course. Uh, But because there's some lesbians in the Bible, like uh, Ruth. But uh, the other thing is, I still want to know, and... I think John would agree, and maybe if he thinks about it some more, he'll recognize this. Everybody has a different notion of what they consider promiscuous. And at the end of the day, it's not that promiscuous or promiscuity is a thing sitting out there that is necessarily bad. Promiscuous is the label that we use as a pejorative for people who are having more sex than we are. (laughs) Or that we think they should have. Well, I don't feel like having sex with more than one partner for the next 40 years. Congratulations. Cool. I think that's a perfectly valid way to live your life. I don't, I don't know that you're necessarily going to be as fulfilled as the person who has more partners. Maybe less. Oh, well, what about diseases? The more partners you have, the more, hey, I'm talking about responsible, consensual, enthusiastic, informed consent, responsible sex between adults. Have at it. I tell you what, everybody, It, it, we should almost like buy promiscuity.org and then just let mm. the pretentious people who think they know how much sex God wants us to have go over and say, okay, uh, you can't have sex with more than one partner at a time and no more than 10 partners in a 25-year period or it's promiscuity. And then as we get more and more of them, we don't have to get involved at all. We can just let them argue with each other and we'll go out and fuck. <laughs> it's... Yeah, John. But uh, as just I do, I do I want to appreciate John. I'll, I'll yeah, let yeah. You I, that. I, I just I hope he does yeah. uh, think about that and call back because you know what? Where I was gonna uh, start getting to is how how do you define uh, like you said with promiscuity specifically or 
Like, how, how do you start establishing those standards about these people are here, so they're not evil? Like, how did you come to that conclusion? How did you get that from the God that was like almost deistic at first, yeah. which it was just all created everything around us, and then started getting into minutia about you know, who you share your genitals with. So yeah, I don't want to be mean to John because it's very yeah. clear that John was honest, sincere, polite. He was sure. thinking. Um, I would have loved to keep talking to him, but it was all, also almost cartoonish. There is a God. I'm convinced there's probably a God because the order in the universe makes sense, and He really doesn't want us to have sex with too many people. Mm. I mean. It's it, it's a parody almost, and I understand how that thinking goes. And I don't think I don't think John is remotely abnormal. I no. think that's how a great many people think and have. And it could be the that's case. There could actually be a data driven case that a particular level of promiscuity does in fact damage society. Mm-hmm. There can also be data that um, a lack of participating in those events could damage society. But bring the damn data. Don't tell me that you think you've sussed out what God thinks about sex. Don't tell me you think you've sussed out what God thinks about gender equality or whether or not we should have health care or whether or not the poor people on the streets are just lazy uh, and God is punishing them, by the way, uh, because it seems that pretty much everything bad that happens in my life seems to be punishment from a God by the people who, who... disagree with me about a God, some of them. And when bad things happen in their life, it's not God punishing them. But at the end of the day, <laughs> if your God is just running around punishing people, I, I don't know if that's a very worthwhile God. We only have a couple minutes left, but I want to get to one more call before we do. We got Marie in North Carolina. And by the way, if you're still on, on the line, um, Adele, Alexander, and Sagan, I think it fills up for it. Once the show's over, we'll go ahead and stay on for an after show and clear the queue. Sure, sure. Go for I'll, it. I'll wait for the studio. But Marie in North Carolina, thank you so much for waiting. We're happy you're here. Hey, um, I'm glad I was able to get on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no problem. I got a note from the studio uh, that we're not going to do the, the Patreon thing afterwards, but we are going to continue to clear out the queue. So, so um, I mean, I'm uh, ex. A Pentecostal Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been an ACS for since last August. Oh wow! And um, but I had a question about heaven. Uh, when you were a Christian, did you like the idea of heaven? Yeah, I loved what I thought heaven was um, until I thought about it a lot more. And the reason I asked was because I never liked that idea personally, even as a preteen and a teenager, I hated the idea because <laughs> for two reasons, one of the reasons was it sounded incredibly boring. Yes. Um, and the other reason was I did not believe I would get into heaven. I couldn't tr- really trick myself to believe it. But if I did somehow end up there, I also did not believe that my family would get there. So I wouldn't want to be there uh, knowing that my family was in hell. Yeah, there's, there's interesting. a number of problems with the hell thing. And some of them are more jokey, like, you know, hey, I could have cheesecake and it's awesome. But if you're going to feed me cheesecake every day for the rest of eternity, I'm going to get sick of it. I, I get that. I understand well, I it. 
cheesecake, so <laughs> that would that would be heaven for me. Okay. Is there, is there lactose intolerance? Uh, I think if heaven? you think about it, I love some cheesecake, but if all I could eat was cheesecake all the time, every day, forever... Yeah, I I I'd probably end up hating it myself. Yes. Yeah. My other my other question was when you became an atheist, did did you ha still have lingering fear of hell? Yeah, I mean, I remember growing up and I guess the concept of heaven it, it was kind of touched on in church here and there, but not usually it was in the context of a funeral. That's usually where it was kind of yeah. heavily uh, pushed through. So it was, you know, somebody that went went home to glory. Yep. Or an angel got called home. And so that was the comfort mechanism that was employed for the congregation, everyone that was there to say that you're going to see this person again. And, you know, they're, you know, being received by the Lord and they're happy and be happy for them. And in my F. Kojic church, it was more music would happen. And so there would be dancing and some joys. There's, of course, tears, but it was that's supposed to be that celebration that they went home to the Lord. Therefore, you're going to see him again once once you get there. Well, you'll all be reunited, um, even though I didn't necessarily like everybody. For, for, <laughs> but, for me, I, but, um, I got over the hell problem relatively yeah. quickly by saying, first of all, how much time have I spent worrying about the hell of other religions that I didn't grow up with? Right, yeah. Uh, the other thing is, is there anything I can do about it? And the third was, do I have any reason to think it's real? And all three of those failing to meet the test meant that uh, any concern I had about hell just evaporated. But I'm, I'm in agreement with you. Um, I've talked before about uh, how, for example, my mom is not going to go to heaven, even though she thinks she is, because yeah. in heaven there can be no suffering. There's no way my mom could be in heaven with me in hell, and she wouldn't suffer. Now, I've talked to her about it, and somehow or another God makes this work. But the reality is it's basically a a facsimile of my mom, an altered one. It is something that's changed about her mind such that she's not going yeah, to be sad. Like the robot. Yes, and she's there to praise and worship and everything will be good, there will be no evil. The problem with all of that is what makes life interesting and valuable is a couple of things. Number one, it ends. Mm -hmm. I think if we could teach people to appreciate that the ending of life is a part of life and it's what gives the value to it, I think that would go a long way towards yeah. dealing with a lot of people's grief. But the other aspect uh, of life is the variety and the pain. Now, yes, there is excessive pain and suffering in the world. But that doesn't mean that everything that causes some suffering or pain is necessarily a bad thing because you learn from it. You learn how to overcome adversity. You learn more about the facts of reality so that you can avoid that. It would seem to me that in a perfect heaven, there's nothing to learn. And I live my life to learn, so I don't want to go there anyway. But it, the, I think one of the, the things that's appealing to people is they think when they get there, God's going to explain it all to you. You're going to get to like rewind history and see what happened here, and the, everything will make sense and all, all the, the stuff, answers. all the stuff you didn't know. You know, like you know, for Mott's last theorem, you'll, you'll you'll just get it. You'll be just you'll know everything. Uh, I'm not aware of. Certainly nothing in the Bible supports the notion that when you get to heaven, God's going to... As far as you know, when you get to heaven, God's not going to tell you nothing. It's going to be like, there's your place to kneel. Yeah. There's your mansion, My, your mansion over there. I had thought was that you didn't even get to see God when you got to heaven because you, no one can see God, even in heaven. 
I don't think that's actually biblical. You can't see him in, in physical form on earth, although you can evidently wrestle with him and other stuff. But anyway. Yeah, there were so many weird things. And about the hell part, when I became an atheist the very day, same day, that fear was instantly gone. Um, it's amazing. I, when never had, I haven't had any fear of hell ever since that day. And I can tell you the that exact day I became that's an awesome. atheist. Yeah. That is great, and I, I know people have been atheists for many, many years who still wake up in the middle of the night from fear of the hell that they were indoctrinated to. So uh, count yourself yeah. fortunate, and yeah. I, I think that, you know, uh, I think you'll be fine. Yeah, I feel very lucky that I don't have any fear of hell, but I do have a lot of siblings, and they all, um, except for two of them, believe in God, and uh, both of them believe in some sort of supernatural thing, the ones who don't believe in God. So I'm the only one who believes in, does not believe in God at all or any gods or that very, that same day I decided if I'm not going to believe in the Christian God, why should I believe in any other God? Yeah, and yeah. that's the thing is, when, if there is some... Going from one religion to another. Yeah, mm -hmm. if there is some God out there, I'm open to the evidence for it. Sure. Um, yeah, that, I think some of them are more obviously false than others. Um, yeah. But anyway, Marie, and I appreciate the call. Much more interesting. Some of them are much more interesting than the Christian God. Yeah, true. Uh, like Loki. Uh, but yeah. anyway, I appreciate the call, Marie. We're going to wrap the show up and then go into some uh, after show calls real quick. But yeah, enjoy no longer fearing hell or wanting heaven. Yeah. I know that's yeah. right. That's... I mean, it, it can definitely linger there, but yeah, that, that same type of mentality that you were saying, like, if I, how long have I feared the, the quote unquote hells of others, of other religions all of my life? And it's like, if I'm not fearing them, but why in the world should I still fear this one? Especially if I don't have a belief in a deity or have any, don't have any evidence that an afterlife exists at all yeah. in the first place. Like, why in the world? would I live that way. It, it so. seems a lot of the arguments that I presented about this problem, they're going to seem cartoonish. Mm -hmm. And the only reason they seem cartoonish is because most people are indoctrinated into a particular religious mindset. So as soon as you hear, you know, like when I say that mysticism, spirituality, they're so overused that they're useless, um, there are people who think they know what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. And quite often they're not talking about the same thing. We're talking past it. But when I, when I look at the, the examples that I give, people think are cartoonish. I'm like, okay, if you really loved, you know, your kids, would you build a torture chamber in the basement and then never directly engage with them, but leave them notes on the refrigerator that they have no evidence these notes are actually from you. Mm -hmm. And those notes say, you better do this, 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 and this, or I'm going to send you down to the basement for being tortured. None of that seems realistic. None of that seems loving. Um, and if, if it's not going to happen in, in the real scale, the notion that there's some extra supernatural scale where it's somehow justified is bizarre to me. But... Oh, you can't compare God to Santa Claus? Yes, I can. Santa Claus has more evidence. <laughs> That's just a fact. Because there are kids that wake up with presents labeled from Santa. There are kids who go to the mall and see Santa. Uh, they're wrong. <laughs> and that's the thing is you can be wrong and yet still be reasonable. If the evidence that you have leads to a conclusion, you are reasonable irrespective of whether or not you are ultimately correct. And that's the reason why we have to keep pursuing more information so that 
we have a better pool to pull from mm-hmm. to figure out what we think. And actually critical of the things that have convinced us in the first place, that uh, looking at the epistemology of what led you to that belief in the first place and evaluating that evidence along the way. Yeah. There's uh, there's three more calls. I, I'm going to try to get to since we're not doing the after show, so we'll mm-hmm. do what we can. Um, we have Adele in Oakland. Thanks for waiting. Hey. Hey, how are you? I just wanted to... Good. How are you guys? I talked to you about three months ago. I don't know if you remember. Maybe. But, um, I don't know. I just... Oh, sorry. I just wanted to get to the idea where there's God's will yep. and then versus us having free will, which we could, you know, argue that we don't even have free will. But that's a completely yep. different discussion. Um, but I just wanted to talk about that. And even though it's obviously logically, you know, fallacious, how do you argue with theists on this topic? Because it doesn't seem like it, it just, it kind of feeds into their idea of, um, well, one thing that they agree with is God's will. Mm-hmm. And then if they disagree with it, like say homosexuality, they say, oh, well, that's your free will and you're not doing God's will. Yeah. So, I will set aside the discussion about whether or not we have free will because my answer is yes or no, depending on how people want to define it. But the notion within particularly Christianity, and I'll just stick there because I think it applies to a good many others, that we have free will is clearly false. And the way I I point this out is this. Did God create the universe? They'll say yes. Could God have created a different universe? Some of them will say yes, some of them will say no. If God couldn't create a different universe, then everything is deterministic and God was stuck with this universe. But if they're willing to say yes, so God intentionally created this universe. Does God know what's going to happen in each of the potential universes that he created? Yes, because nothing can happen that doesn't go according to God's plan. That means that God intentionally created the universe in which I become an atheist and go to hell instead of the universe in which I remain a Christian. So while I would agree with you that from the internal perspective, or I would agree with a Christian, from the internal perspective, I am a thinking agent who takes actions with the appearance of will. I can never do anything that God didn't already know about and specifically pick because he could have created a different universe and didn't. And when you put those three elements together, you cannot have a God and free will. You have to either remove Hey, God knows what's going to happen because he's watching it like a movie. You know, we exercised our freedom. Right, and he's not all-knowing. Yeah. Um, or God uh, created the universe but didn't have any option, in which case it's all deterministic and God's irrelevant to it. Or God created the universe, could have created a different one, but doesn't know what's going to happen. And under that one, you get it. But when you put all three of them together, which is the foundation of Christianity, that there are prophecies and God knows what's going to happen and God knows when, God knows when the end is and he knows who's going to heaven and who's not and he knows knows the number of hairs on your head which for me is not as hard as it is for other people um when you put all those things together you can't have free will under under any model so then how at that point what is the reasoning for you know being made sick and then you know being commanded to be well how how do they justify how could anybody be wrong for what they do um, because they don't agree with me and they say that you still have free will. They, they just don't understand that, that trilemma. And so their argument it is, is, basically the whole argument for free will everywhere within theism and without is it feels like I have free will, therefore I do. That's as close as anybody can get to a definition of free will, to, to, to defining that we in fact have free will because it feels like we do. 
But if, in fact, we don't, and it's just the case that we feel like we do, then even feeling like we do isn't evidence that we do. Okay, so okay, so they would argue that we feel like we have to rule, we don't, but then how could they get offended if we do things that are considered sin, if we don't yeah. have free will? Because God's offended. They're offended on God's behalf. Okay. okay, but how could God be offended if God didn't create us with free will? Because God's a dick. Okay. Well, I, it just seems like no, you, the whole thing to I, me is a parallel of a narcissist and a codependent. That's what the relationship kind of seems like. Yeah. You are not wrong. Um, and I, I, I can't really tell you more. What I will say is go out and ask them. Go out and have the conversation. I do. I do. This is why I'm having the yep. conversation with you. This is because mm-hmm. I've had these conversations and it's, I don't know how to get past that, you know, cognitive dissonance. I, I don't know what to do other than yeah, that's tough. in my, you know, <laughs> participated discussions like this and have, um, you know, joined debate in other areas so that people who are searching will see these conversations. That's like the best thing I feel like I can do. You have yeah. to find the people who actually care about truth mm-hmm. and are willing to acknowledge honestly when the path that they've chosen that they think leads them to truth doesn't. Because I have, I know people that have interacted with recently who don't care at all about data because the data could be wrong. How do you, how do you know? How do you trust that data? And I was like, okay, I've got data. What have you got? Oh, I got personal testimony from people. And I, I, not kidding. I know people who value personal testimony and experience. Well, if they value personal testimony, bring up your own personal testimony. Yeah. They don't value mine so much. Right, because it's not the right kind. Because mine is my personal, my personal testimony, which brings up data. (laughs) Got it. Because I've I've had a similar discussion when we talk about God's will and like even the good things and the bad things in life. That's all part of God's plan. Yeah. That even though you lost your job, you and lost your car, something like that. It's all. It was to make you stronger. It's going to work out according to God's plan and. You know, I, when I talk about like our own actions, like the actions that we take when uh, someone hurts someone else, and I'm like, well, was, that, was that also part of God's plan? If God's plan was, is everything, everything that we see and everything that we do is a part of his plan, then that person that murdered another, was that a part of the plan? I've gotten, I remember a conversation where it was, oh, well, that, that was uh, the devil tempting you. Yeah. Oh, that was, that was a demon that was tempting your actions. That, that, that wasn't God though. It wasn't God that happened, but I'm like, well, the devil has power over God in that. Right, right, and, and, and that's that's kind of where it kind of goes out. And I was like, well, isn't everything supposed to happen according to God's will, God's plan? So the plan was for the devil to take yeah. control of this person, just and like murder, he did with Joe. This other, and I'm just like, they've been working together. Like, yeah. like, like, they've been working a together. Douchebag. It's, it's right and there in the like, book. I don't know what to say. They work together. They work together to screw over Job. They work together uh, at a number of points. Actually, Satan is the accuser who works for God. This notion that Satan, Lucifer, Beelzebub, devil are, are independent um, is one notion f- from Scripture. Uh, then there's one that glom, glom them all together as different names for the same being, and that's not actually evident, uh, which is the re- reason why both Jesus and Lucifer are referred to as Morningstar. I mean, it's it's weird. Now, I've, I've had this discussion. Um, Andrea Yates, the woman who drowned her kids so they would go to heaven. Uh-huh. Um, 
I had a discussion recently with a, with somebody about this. They agreed those kids went to heaven that, you know, kids who are below the age of reason or whatever, they go, boom, do not pass, go, go straight up to Jesus. Well, I heard that they're, that nobody knows if they go to heaven or not, that God judges it just depending on what he feels like. Yeah. But if you agree that those kids went to heaven, then she did the best thing she could possibly do for her kids. Even potentially dam- oh, damning herself. And within God's will. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so the person I was talking to was like, no, 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 she was just you know, crazy or evil or whatever. And I was like, okay, I agree with you that that's, uh, that what she did was awful. But if you look at it from within the doctrine, she did the best thing. What, what greater love could you have than to kill your kids and guarantee that they go to heaven if your doctors, if your doctrine is correct? But here's the thing. Yeah, Irrespective of the doctrine, that had to be gar- part of God's plan. God's plan was for a woman to get famous for intentionally drowning her kids so that they would go to heaven. Now, I don't know. I think that if there is a God, he's an idiot. But if I was God and I didn't want people to drown their kids, I would make it clear that drowning your kids is not going to get you to heaven, that it's not Mm -hmm. within my will. Instead, this God seems to have said, I'm really not going to tell him very clearly about how this whole getting to heaven thing works. Um, and I'm going to make sure that this one woman gets famous for doing the exact thing that I don't want people to do. And then I'm not going to clarify on it at all. Now that God is either an idiot or a dick or both. Well, you know, there's nothing better. There's only one thing better than going to heaven and that's taking somebody with you. So maybe she read that and <laughs> that was her interpretation of that scripture. It <laughs> could be. Um, <laughs> but it just also goes into then what's the point of praying? Because I've heard, well, you didn't pray correctly mm. when things don't get answered the way that they need to. But what's the point of praying if when you pray, God's will is already determined? So what's right. the point? Will, will the plan, will God's plan change based on your prayer? I mean, that's what George Carlin joked so, about. But so there, are, there is a way, there is a way around that that's, as far as I can tell, doctrinal. Prayer is not to get things. Prayer is just you sucking up to God. It is you, oh, hey, okay. and, and so the prayer is, thy will be done. You're just sitting here saying, yes, God, I am in fact a plaything in your grand cosmic uh, show, and uh, I am happy for your will to be done, as if God would care whether or not you're happy about it. As a matter of fact, it means that it was God's will for you to be happy that his will be done. <laughs> well, that sounds like a narcissist. We're saying, hey, narcissist, tell me how to stroke your ego so that you'll treat me better. Yes, mm-hmm. except in this case, the narcissist has made it so that you want to stroke his ego uh, or not, or don't want to stroke his ego based on his whim. You know, I really like Phil, so I want Phil to stroke my ego, but I don't like uh, Joe over there, so I'm going to make sure Joe doesn't stroke my ego so so that I can send him to heaven or to hell. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we're running out of time. I meantime, anyway, yeah. I appreciate the call, Adele. Thank Thanks you for taking my call. Yep. All right, take care. Thank you. All right, we are running into overtime now. Uh, Alexander in Oklahoma, what have you got for us? Welcome to the show. Oh, good. oh wow. Okay, cool. Uh, interesting. <laughs> um, all right, cool. I'm surprised I'm actually talking to. Uh, to you, Matt. Uh, I've seen you all over YouTube. I'm here all the time. <laughs> wow. Okay. This is really or, or cool. Uh, I've never done something like this before. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm still like amazement. And I'm, I didn't think I was going to be nervous when I was talking to you. But now that I'm talking to you, I'm actually freaking nervous. <laughs> I, I can fix this all for you real quick. 
(laughs) Especially since we're short on time, because it says here that you were going to ask about what purpose means for an atheist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Definitely where I want to start. My friend Chris Johnson did a book where he interviewed a bunch of uh, atheists uh, giving their thoughts on uh, meaning and purpose in a life without God. And so it's a collection of essays and photographs. But he also turned that into a documentary. So if you go to theatheistbook.com, you can find the book and or the documentary, which will include my answer as well as the answer of many other people because I'm not the ultimate authority on anything but me and maybe not even that. Um, but it will give you a lot of different perspectives on purpose and meaning from a secular and atheistic perspective. And if you don't want to buy the book or the movie, send me an email and I'll send you a copy of the movie. All right. Um, all right, cool. Well, I guess another thing I was going to ask too, um, I know, are you, is there like a t- certain time limit we got right now? We're, we're technically in overtime, but you're one of the last two we're going to try to get to. So we don't want to go on too long, but I definitely wanted to give you some time. So go ahead. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. I guess uh, one question I asked Chelsea, she was the person that put me into you guys, mm-hmm. was just like, cause I'm still in the fence, right? You know, I've, I grew up in Christianity, you know, whatever. My mom's a Christian and she's actually been super awesome with, with me in this, trying to figure this out on my own and stuff like that. And I, I don't even know where to start. I guess Christianity is, you know, um, she, and she kind of addressed this question. Chelsea did. Um, Christianity is the, you know, the faith, uh, in God. And I kind of thought to myself, I could be wrong on this. Isn't atheism kind of the faith? And no God? No. No. How I'm, is that? I'm just not convinced that there's a God. None of my positions are based on faith. Faith is the excuse people give when they don't have a good reason. If you have good reasons, you believe for good reasons. And if you don't yet have good reasons, you don't believe. Um, it's not, I'm not necessarily in a position where I'm saying there is no God. I'm saying I am not convinced there is a God. And in some cases, I'll say there is no God, depending on that, you know, definition. Um, but it's it's not a faith-based position any more than, you know, if... Do you believe the moon's made of green cheese? I mean, no. Like, is that a, is that, that is that a faith-based position? Well, I can look at the moon and it's not green. I mean, I mean it's white. It Sometimes, or we wouldn't have said green cheese, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so, so the fact, so that, there's a difference between having a positive belief. I believe the moon is not made of green cheese and having, and not accepting a different positive belief, which is I am not convinced the moon is made of green cheese. Now, I think there's ample evidence considering we've walked on it that the moon is not made of green cheese. Uh, isn't there some evidence? Sorry to interrupt you. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. Finish. Oh, uh, but isn't there like some evidence that like, Christianity does exist, and I'm not like you know trying to be like oh no, like what? Christianity exists. Christianity exists. Yeah, like can you uh, clarify that a little bit? Uh, Well, you know, for instance, Jesus, right? Like, I mean, I I think there was like a, I could be using this completely wrong when I say this, but I think it was an archaeologist that said something about like Jesus was in fact a real person, but there was no like. Evidence of him being a spiritual being okay. or something like that. Yeah. So, so there are people who didn't, think didn't Jesus exist or something? We don't know. Um, uh, I would think that that would be a question where the answer had to obviously be yes if it were to be true. And now the answer is we don't know. But it doesn't matter mm-hmm. because 
or it doesn't matter that we don't know, it does matter whether or not he existed for the, for the religion itself. But let's assume that Jesus existed, that we have a fairly accurate record of things that he may have said, but we have no way to demonstrate that he was divine or supernatural or had powers or was God. Okay, cool. Now we're talking about a person. That, that, that doesn't in any way support the truth of Christianity. And what's worse is we can't even demonstrate that Jesus existed and we have a good record of his words. So we're in worse shape than not being, not having any evidence that Jesus was God. Mm. I mean, one of the things, I guess, I guess, I guess I'm just trying to figure out like, is like, like, I guess another good question. Ask ask yourself this. What's the problem? Go ahead. Why are you focused on whether or not Jesus existed? Why aren't you focused on whether or not Allah was the prophet of God? That's a good point. You bet your ass it is. I've done this for a while, and it's one of those things that bugs me. It's like, how did you decide that God was? How, how did you decide that God was a good one and Satan was the evil one? I mean, these are we are focused on the. It's like I said earlier. My fear of hell went away because I realized how many other religions afterlifes had I been worried about? And the answer was none. And if I was only going to be focused on the the afterlife of the religion I was indoctrinated in, that seems to me just absurd. So what I did in my journey was to say, okay, I clearly don't believe in Christianity anymore, but let me find out what kind of God could exist. And, and, and I'll explore this at the level of philosophy of let's define you know, what kind of God might exist? What, what would a God be like? And all those things. And I found out that uh, there's no good reason to think that anything that would qualify as a God um, has ever been demonstrated to even be plausible. So I had to give it up. But in a weird way, and I'm not trying to like disagree with you or anything like that. Go but ahead. In a weird way, like that's oh, something <laughs> hey, so I love it when people like, disagree. Well, I mean, I'm not really disagreeing with yeah, you. Yeah, no, no, I'm go honestly ahead. Honestly, kind of following up with you, but um, but doesn't it take? It kind of takes a little bit of faith to like to be like, okay, there's something, there's something wrong here, you know? No, that's called logic. So when you understand how how we go about being reasonable and what the value of logic is, and understand that fallacy when, when a lot when a syllogism is fallacious. That doesn't mean the conclusion is... Wait, 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 what? All right. A syllogism is a logical argument. All right, yeah, dumb it down for me, man. <laughs> uh, good, because I'm getting ready to do a whole series of videos on this, and it's good that I know where I need to start. So let's say we want to be reasonable. We care about truth. We'd like to be as correct as we can be and avoid being wrong. One of the methods that we've found, um, and it's derived from mathematics, one plus one equals two, or actually mathematics is derived from it, but a logical argument is in its simple form of syllogism, premise one, premise two, and conclusion. And so you take facts or things that you accept and you plug them in. And if, if the syllogism is a, of a valid structure, ah, I'm using too much jargon. Oh, you're, you're good. There, there, are, the there are arguments that are what we call sound, which is, means they're a proper structure and we accept the premises. There are fallacies. We can demonstrate this particular argument structure. We cannot be reliably convinced that the conclusion is true. 
So when you find an argument that's fallacious, that does not mean the conclusion is wrong. It just means you have no reason to believe the conclusion is true. Okay? So there's a process of learning about syllogisms and fallacies. But at the end of the day, here's the key thing. I want to be reasonable. I accept that an argument that is unreasonable cannot lead me reliably to truth. So you could say, uh, Socrates is a man, all men are mortal, therefore the grass is wet. That's a fallacious argument because the conclusion doesn't match up with anything in the premises. But the grass might still be wet. It's just the reason you're offering for the grass being wet is not one that can guarantee that the grass is wet. That's it. And so if you accept things, that's the power of a, of a reasoned argument, is that you're recognizing we have a mechanism to make sure that if we are diligent, we don't accept something as true without good reason. That doesn't mean we think it's false. It just means we reject the argument and reject the conclusion. And by reject the conclusion, that just means we don't accept it. it doesn't mean we think it's false. Once you understand that, then it takes work to go through the things you believe and say, did I have a good reason for this? And if somebody can point out to you, when you put your thing in an argumentative form, here's your fallacy, then the reasonable person says, you're correct. I may still, in fact, believe there's a God, but that argument isn't going to do it. So now I need a better one. Now, I know most people on the planet are not going to do this at the level that others will. But here's the thing. There are some diligent, intelligent individuals who have spent over the course of millennia their entire lives addressing these. And here we are in 2019 with not one demonstrably sound argument that would serve to conclude that a God exists. Nada. Right, I Zip. agree with you on that. So, but then why is it still a problem all these years? Because people keep believing. Sure. And they're made to propagate. You think the problem is because people are just too afraid to admit that they don't know? Because that's a hard pill for, that's a hard pill for me to swallow. There's, you know? I think there are a number of reasons. I think people believe for different reasons and they will give it up for different reasons. Yeah. I think that some, some maintain that belief out of fear. Uh, a lot of fears, a lot of fears that religions exploit, like the fear of being alone, the fear of not knowing, the fear of an afterlife, the fear of hell, uh, all of these things. Um, also, I think that there's certainly comforting aspects to religion that I'm going to go, I'm going to go see grandpa again in the future. Um, that the yeah. child that I lost to cholera is waiting for me in heaven. Um, all of these things, we value them and it keeps us from recognizing that we, are being unreasonable because these things feel good to us. And that's not in any way saying that people are stupid or people are lazy, even though some people are stupid and some people are lazy. This is what it is to be but human. Scared. What the reality is, you don't have time to become an expert in everything. And so you are prone, as is everybody, to just taking people's words for things. Hey, everybody around me believes in Jesus. We're all standing in church. We're singing. Mm -hmm. I feel goosebumps. They all tell me it's the Holy Spirit. Of course, I'm going to believe it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why, why would I have anything else to think? It's like talking about um, the notion forever, for ages, that the earth went around or the sun went around the earth. Because that's what it looks like. 
it looks like the sun goes around the earth. So it would, it's not that people were stupid or boneheaded or anything to think that was it. It was obvious. All of the available evidence they had led to that conclusion. And then when we got more evidence, that changed. But there's nothing about the notion that the sun goes around the earth that people take into their core and say, wow, the sun is going around the earth because it really cares about me and it wants to reunite me with my loved ones and it wants me to have a good life. And so that idea is easy to change when we get new evidence. But the notion that there's a God, no matter how many times you point out the fallacies, the fact that there isn't good evidence for the proposition, that's not enough to disprove it. And what people fundamentally do, all of us, and some strive harder than others to not do it, is say this, I am convinced of X, and I will remain convinced of X until you prove me wrong. Mm -hmm. But the problem is that the God proposition is unfalsifiable, meaning there is no way you can prove it wrong. And so people will keep yeah. believing. Yeah. You can think of it like inertia, an object, in, an object believing continues to believe <laughs> unless acted on by a force. Right. Because even my experience, I mean, I didn't... It wasn't something that I wanted to give up. Like, that wasn't what I had in mind when yeah, I first started like examining those things. But it was, I guess, being willing to be honest with myself about my beliefs and actually looking at the book that I grew up with mm -hmm. and seeing how much it had changed over time, depending on which version you had, who it was written by, et cetera, et cetera. And then accepting the fact that I grew up with this book, but this may not actually be the correct word. Therefore... I won't be a Christian anymore. I'll just be religious. You know, I still had a God belief because I didn't want to give that up. But then it started like those questions. And that was okay for several months before more questions started kind of creeping up, uh, saying, well, why am I holding on to this? Why am I believing in this specific deity, this, uh, you know, father figure type of deity that I was introduced? To? I still had this belief. I didn't identify as Christian, but why am I holding on to this one? Why not any of these others yeah. that were out here and how, I couldn't justify it to myself as to why I'm sticking with this one, besides the fact that I grew up with it. It's and funny. So, yeah, it's a very interesting I mean, process. There are certainly people who are incredibly intelligent, who are incredibly knowledgeable about, let's just stick with the Bible, who are believers. But the overwhelming majority of people who identify as Christian don't really know all that much about what they believe, don't really know all that much about why, don't really know all that much about fallacies or what is or isn't reasonable. Uh, they don't know all that much about the history of the book that they praise. Most of them have not even read the book that they praise. Um, wow. Yeah. That's, that's the way it is because as far as I can tell, the truth of what most religious experience and activity is on planet Earth is about we are social creatures and this social group, because we're not nearly as naturally tribal as we were when we were spread out all over the place. Here's a Southern Baptist church in this town. Here's a Southern Baptist church in the other town. If you move from town to town, you've got a ready-made community that already shares your beliefs without having to do any work. And they'll bring you a potluck while you're moving in. They'll watch the kids when you have to go turn your electricity on, you know. Yeah, here, let me ask you this. Let's assume that I was a full devoted Christian, you know, I, 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 one big question that pops up to me is what's so liberating about being an atheist? Because it's just like, you know, what, what difference it makes? Even though I might be alive, I don't care what's, whatever, I don't care what's like, liberating. It's like I feel better. I feel better knowing that I would see 
you know, okay. one of my dead relatives, you know, at some hey, point. Hey, I feel, be- hell, I feel better thinking that too. It's over. So I don't care whether it's liberating. I care whether it's true. And mm-hmm. yes, it would be comforting of me to think that, oh, I'm going to get to go to the afterlife and see all these people that I haven't seen. But if it's not true, then what I've done is I've set up a system that does not encourage me to treat people right the first time. If I think I get a do-over for eternity, am I going to treat people, am I going to focus as much on treating the people I care about better or worse? I guess it would be, I mean, like... It's not as important. Worse in what area, I guess? Well, I'm I'm convinced that when I'm dead, I'm dead. I think the notion of a soul is the most obviously false uh, idea in any religion. Now, because when I think, I, because I think when I'm dead, it's over. That changes the way I live my life. Under a notion where I'm going to live forever, all of human existence, all however many years I'm here, every great meal I've had, every sexual encounter, every bit of art, every bit of music, all of that means nothing. This is a place to wipe your feet before the real life begins. I find that to be just a repugnant idea anyway. But, if I'm convinced that I get one shot at this, it fundamentally changes how I live my life. It fundamentally changes whether how, how focused on me I'm going to be or how bigoted I'm going to be or what types of uh, things I'm going to engage in and whether I'm going to leave, leave this place. If you think you're dying and you go rent a house and you think you're going to die there, you're not going to be concerned about cleaning it up for the next person. But if you think that this is your one and only life, how you leave things for other people is something that is likely to be a concern. When you think about things like climate change, I remember years ago listening to Rush Limbaugh, who was pointing out that everything's going according to God's plan. God is ultimately supreme. Man could not possibly destroy the earth. And therefore, we don't need to give a rat's ass about climate change because God will come back and rapture people and we'll end up in the tribulation. And then there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. It fundamentally changes what things you're going to do. And if I thought that I was going to, you know, if let's say I was estranged from my father, I'm not. And I thought we were going to see each other in heaven. I'm less motivated to make things right now than I am if I think at any minute either of us could die and that would be the end of all of it. That's a pretty strong motivator to let's fix yeah, this bullshit that is, that's between us. That's really powerful. That yeah. is, that's powerful, man. And that affords a lot of the like, the volunteer work that I do and other exactly. non-believers do because you look at the life and the people around us and the situations that people are involved in. And if you don't have a belief in an afterlife, you're looking at that like if this is their only shot that they have, what can I do to make their life a little less shitty? What can I do to make things a little better for them? And it's really incentivizes you to actually start doing something, to start going out and volunteering. And that's why I do a lot of the stuff that I do is because not only do I recognize that their lives uh, are short, the people that, that, whose lives I can affect, but I also realize mine is short. And so the impact that I can have is also limited by the small amount of time that I have here. So let's do something with this small amount of life versus just kicking back because I can be just kicking back at the house, chilling now, not worrying about anybody because fuck it, you know, yep. we, just, we got other places to go. But if this is it, if yeah, this, if you got this 60, 70 good. years, you need to do something. Like, I mean, that's, that's my view. Not everyone has that view, but that's the way I look at it. And since becoming atheist and not having a belief in the afterlife, that has really been one of the biggest changes of my life and how I approach 
my interactions with the rest of the world and what I want to do with my life. Let, let me tie this. Let me tie this back to what you said, and then I'll give you the last word, and then we'll we'll finish up the show. You call you originally were talking about meaning and purpose in life, and I think we've kind of touched on that a little bit. But if and so, I think the example that I've used many times is that uh, would you want to live in a world where your parents and the government decided what your job was going to be? Oh, uh, asking me that? Yeah. Uh, no, no. No, I would not. Most of us wouldn't. Most of us would revolt against that. And yet when we talk about meaning and purpose from the perspective of religion, everything is an externally imposed purpose. God has some meaning and purpose for your life. I don't know why anyone would, re- would rejoice in that when they would rebel against any other authority imposing their will over their life. But irrespective of which one is more appealing, there's no reason to think that there is, in fact, any externally imposed life. And that is, in fact, liberating, although that's not my criteria. I care about what's true. But it turns out not having a God belief is incredibly liberating. I mean, this isn't even controversial. That's one of the biggest arguments against atheism because they will say, without God, anything is permissible. And they think that you're just engaged in debauchery and destroying everything. But the truth is, without God, you don't have this notion that everything about you is wrong, that everything you do is wrong, that somebody's watching over your shoulder, that somebody cares about who you sleep with or how you love people, that somebody cares about whether or not you're on your knees or whether you pray five times a day, um, that there's not somebody who says that, you know, if you rape a young woman, you have to actually marry her. Uh, all of these notions that come from different religions go away. And what we're left with is the recognition that we're human beings stuck on a rock in the middle of space. We have to share space. We know enough about game theory and cooperation to know what's in our best interest. We have the benefit of thousands of years of human history to teach us how to be more moral, how to care more about other people. And I can do all of it without even a passing thought about an afterlife, about whether or not some god is going to think that I'm worthy. When most religions are not about how good you are, it's about how much you love God, and then they just try to define God as good. But if there's a God who says that it's okay to enslave people, that men are better than women, fuck him. He doesn't understand anything about morality or humanism. He's a thug. He's the narcissist somebody else was talking about. So yeah, I think that a rejection of the notion that there is a God is not only the most reasonable position, but is in fact incredibly liberating and in an incredibly positive way. But check out the book. Check out the movie. Yeah, what was it called again? Theatheistbook.com. It's a book and a movie by Chris okay. Johnson. Called a Better Life. And and all the parts okay. that don't have me in it are outstanding. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, this is like just so like, I feel like it's so complex to put my mind around. Because like, I'm 18 right now. and like this, you know, I've been living in this religion for all my life. And I bet there's people, you know, some religious people watching the show right now. And they're like, distraught. Like, oh God, an 18 year old coming out of religion. And I... I'm I'm honestly like terrified, but I'm so glad that I'm kind of like recognizing this because I've been asking myself a lot of questions just about religion. And I, I've questioned a lot of the things that I've that I do, and I, religion's always been the hardest thing for me. Keep going, you know, keep, keep questioning. Sure. Nobody's expect. Oh, I called the atheist experience, and in 20 minutes, I was an atheist. Uh, no. Find some folks to hang out <laughs> yeah. with. Some find some folks that are similar minded. Find a local organization. Keep asking questions. Um, there are people sitting in the audience today here at the studio who aren't atheists. Um, I appreciate the fact that they made it through the show, an incredibly long show. Um, 
and I'm hoping that they're all open-minded. My, my condition for life is not, oh, let me fix everybody to be like me. It's let's have the conversations and see if we can all be more reasonable because I need to and I care about it and I'm hoping that other people do too. But on that note, good luck to you. Contact us again. Let us know how things are going. Um, sure, sure. We appreciate the call, sir. Yeah, man. Love you guys. You guys are awesome. Hey, take care. But Alex, just keep it up and be honest with yourself and your own beliefs as you go through. Absolutely. On that note, we're done. Woo. Uh, 45 <laughs> minutes of extra stuff, which we did uh, just because we like doing this stuff. I, it was awesome. We're starting a new year. I don't care. <laughs> I, new Year's Eve came. I sat at home. It's just, a, just another day. That's not me being a curmudgeon. I would have also been happy if there were people that I, you know, if I was in the mood, wanted to go hang out with, celebrate the new year. Let's celebrate whatever. I've always said celebrate whatever you want. But 2019 is I'm looking forward to what the ACA is doing, both with the new programs, the new events here, uh, the Patreon project that they've got up there, uh, the people watching on YouTube, the comments, the feedbacks, the blog, the volunteer efforts, the community service efforts, all of those things that go to address something more than just, hey, we're going to call in and argue about God. I will do that probably for the rest of my life. I think I've got pretty good job security giving the number of people who believe. (laughs) But there's so much more to life and so much more to me and us and the community. And you should come over and check it out. 1507 West Caning Lane, you can, any atheist or atheist-friendly person, come down to see us in Austin. And if you're not in Austin, first of all, what the hell's wrong with you? But <laughs> second of all, find an organization in your area and participate. Ask questions. Discover the world. Because if, in fact, it's all over when you're dead and all you did was pray and hope and wish and think you were right... I think you failed. See you next time. Bye-bye. The standard 30-second radio commercial is about 75 words, but this one has twice as many words so that I can talk really fast. Not as fast as the Formula One-inspired electric Italian-made pro carts at Autobahn Indoor Speedway and events that can go up to 50 miles per hour, which is more than twice as fast as the carts your father used to putter around in. Unless, speaking of Italian, your father is Mario Andretti. His carts may have been faster, but only slightly. These carts turn on a dime, accelerate in seconds, and will satisfy your need for speed. And even if you burn out, you will never burn up in our air-conditioned track designed after the world-famous Le Mans course. This is the fastest commercial in Washington, D.C., from the place that has the fastest carts you have ever driven. Autobahn Indoor Speedway and events, located in Dulles and Manassas small here it comes again lunch will it be the same old same old or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new jamaican jerk turkey sub at firehouse subs freshly sliced smoked turkey breast craveably sweet mustard sauce and a hint of caribbean seasoning just 555 for a medium save time order the new jamaican jerk turkey sub on the firehouse subs app firehouse subs enjoy more subs save more lives Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax prices may vary for delivery.